Hey everyone, it's me, Fall Olukumbi. Don't worry, Helen is coming up. I just wanted to mention a couple of things at the start of this admittedly very long episode. Firstly, we talk about the problematic Carl Jung a lot in this episode, and I just wanted to highlight a podcast that helped me research him a lot. It's called This Jungian Life. I totally recommend it. It's, if you want to imagine, the Golden Girls had found spirituality and made a podcast, only now, for some reason, Blanche is a man and has the voice of God. That's what it sounds like. I'll leave it up to you to investigate further if that's what you want to do. Secondly, we have a new Instagram account. I'm not going to tell you to subscribe to it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's totally up to you. But subscribe. You know it makes sense. It is amazing. I love it. Um, I'll leave a link in the description below. And uh, yeah, subscribe and look and go up to your heart's content. Uh, Thirdly, uh, we do talk about the problematic behavior in this episode. uh, So feel free to skip that section if you're sensitive to those issues. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, Anyway, I've been talking way too much. This episode is way too long already. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. And I'll leave it there and say, take it away. David Cabanara. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Old Fashioned Breakdown Podcast, a rewatch podcast for the archetypal TV show Mad Men. A bit like the serial podcast, but with less ad now. My name is Fola Olukumbi, and I've seen the show a couple of times, and I'm trying to figure out how they write this damn thing. And my name is Helen Varley, and this is technically my first watch proof. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter, which is at breakdown underscore old, or email us on oldfashioned.breakdown at gmail.com. You can also now check us out on Instagram. Woo, like the kids. Now we're, oh, sorry. Uh, this episode is the... We haven't done this for a while, sorry. This episode is The Mountain King, written by Matthew Weiner and Robin Vife. Uh, in this episode, Don visits an old friend. Peggy pitches a campaign all on her own. Uh, Cooper struggles with giving up the control of his empire. And Greg is a massive piece of shit. He really is. He really, really is. So, um guess it's been a while it's been a little while yeah um what did you think of this episode what did i think of this episode i thought this episode was quite good right i don't want to say amazing okay i probably should say amazing a little bit more often now i did enjoy it okay that's interesting yeah i did enjoy it even though it was kind of brutal it was a kind of brutal episode it was i did enjoy the throwing of poultry (laughs) um i did enjoy the outfits i did enjoy penny peggy god (laughs) that's how long it's been getting her own office (laughs) that was lovely yep um but there are lots of things to not like about this episode oh wow um like a lot of the religious stuff interesting interesting um, i like it uh Obviously, the horrible rapey bits. Yeah, well, was, yeah. Uh, not not nice. I was worried. I, was, I wasn't sure how you were going to take all that stuff. So I was kind of. Well, not... this is the thing, right? I mean, I think I feel like we should 
we should probably talk about that first because so before I watched this episode, Fola was like, "There's something really shocking happens, right?" And it, and it is shocking. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but it's yeah. not surprising. Right. Me. Okay. It's not surprising. Interesting. Why and not? I think. Well, I mean, you got to think like back at the time, back in the time. Yes. I mean, at, when this was. I mean, actually, are they are they married yet or not? No, not yet. They're not married, because at the at the time period this was supposed to be filmed, I mean, it was still legal to rape your wife, which is nuts. So you know, I mean, that's why it's not shocking to me is the the absolute um, misogyny and and like the the horrible things that women went through in yeah. this time period was just like you know, and that's why I'm not surprised because. Men were shitbags because they had all the power. Because <laughs> they shit. Well, there you go. Power. Interesting. Oh. Um, what did you think of this episode, Fola? So, God, there's so much to say about. It. Do I say that every every week? I don't know. So the main thing I want to say about it is, is like I've always done. I've always been interested in the titles. I didn't get the title for this at right. all. Okay. I know it was the song that he was playing on the piano. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't get it. Okay. So the title for me is basically the key to not just this episode, but like the whole of this season. And I know you can't remember anything. I can't remember anything else. I'm sorry. My memory doesn't last that long. (laughs) That's kind of my fault. I'm sorry that it's been so many, so, so long since the last episode. But this whole season is kind of, I think, summed up mainly by this, not fully by this, but mainly by this, by the title to this episode. And I want to, before I go into it fully, I want to tell you about a guy called Carl Gustav Jung. Basically, he he worked with Freud, you know, the very, right. the very famous guy. Uh, that, that Freud, yeah. That Freud, yeah. And they were very kind of close. He was he almost saw Freud as like a father figure, but they were very, very close. Then they had a bit of a falling out. And um, he went off and did his own, like created his own method of um, psychology. And he came up with a bunch, uh, he's known, he's well known for a bunch of like key concepts. Like he's known for the idea of archetypes and the idea of this thing. I think I mentioned it ages ago in another podcast, the anima and the animus, which is like within each man and each woman, there is a, uh, an opposite. So like mm. in each man, there's a woman and each woman, there's a man. So it's kind of like a psychological thing. Um, and this thing called com- complexes, which is like, which are like complexes are kind of like um, something that happened to you in your childhood that affects you as you're an adult. So like, say you got bitten by a dog, you'd have a dog complex. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd have emotions and feelings connected to dogs as you get older. So he came up with things like complexes, extroversion, introversion, um, things like personas, and an incredible thing called a shadow, like a shadow personality, which is like a uh, the opposite of how you see yourself. So you kind of like the shadow of your personality is the thing that you hide from, but you need to kind of embrace it in order to move on in life. Uh, and synchronicity, which is kind of sort of mysticism, sort of like things that just kind of happen, sort of coincidences in life kind mm. of thing. Right, so he kind of came up with all these concepts and all of those concepts, all of those ideas are basically in this episode. And the big thing about Carl Jung is he was born in the Swiss Alps. Okay. The Mountain King. The Swiss Alps. Right. And also, not only that... (laughs) The Mountain King, the, t- the title of The Mountain King, comes from 
um, it's the you know the music they were playing. Yeah. It's from this story called Pier Gint. Right. It's like this, like um, it's this um, uh, sort of like an old fairy tale, an old Swedish fairy tale. Okay. And um, part of that story is Piergin gets kind of trapped in this troll kingdom, and he meets this troll lady, and the 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 mountain king who's in the story, her father, tries to get him to marry her. Right. And he runs away, and like when he's running away, that's when the music starts playing, and that music that you hear in the show starts playing, oh. which is funny. You know, I was talking about archetypes that this um, this Carl Jung sort of like deals with archetypes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind that that story is kind of an archetype of something that happened in Mad Men that you've probably completely forgotten about. Yes, <laughs> that is correct. So, in the last episode that we watched like six months ago. Um, do you remember the jet set? Um, so Don meets that pretty girl called Joy. He gets to know Joy. (laughs) And then her dad, her dad tries to set him up, tries to set them up, the two of them up together. And then he kind of like just leaves. Remember when he's in the swimming pool and there's two people kissing? Oh, hang on. The jet set—is yeah. that the one that we just watched? That yes. Was, the, okay. That's the one. That's the one. I thought we were, you were going like, oh my gosh! I thought you were going back to like series one then. Okay, yeah. So yeah, because the wasn't the last time we saw Don before this episode. He was. He got into the car with that woman and drove off. Not quite. The last time we saw him was he was he just phoned someone on the phone. He was sitting on a chair. He just phoned someone on the phone and said, "I'm coming to see you." He'd ripped out the back of the book and said, I'm going to see you. And then it ended. And my point is basically that that Pierre Gint story about the guy running away from the troll princess is exactly what happened. Very clever. It's an archetype, right? See, here's the thing. Yep. Right. Nobody, apart from you and Matthew, (laughs) our friend Matthew Weiner, Nobody would know that. <laughs> people, people have noticed it. People have noticed it. Well, okay, but the average person, the average, I represent the average human in this scenario. We wouldn't know that, and okay, but but you know that's cool. But I'm just a bit like I, I never would have got there on my own. <laughs> no worries. I don't think you're supposed to. Anyway, um, and just one more thing on Carl Jung before we go into the actual episode. Uh, I said that, like, I think this whole season is based on Carl Jung's ideas, right? Okay. Not maybe based on, not fully based on, but, like, incorporated into the show. So so still kind of, like, using the ideas of uh, Jack Lacan. The reason I think this is because the first episode of this season, the title of that show was For Those Who Think Young. Ah! <laughs> You crack, you crack the code. I crack the code. There we go. Congratulations. Let's start with the first scene. So Betty, so we got the first scene where Betty is having a go at Sally. Like, what did you did you get anything from this scene when you were watching it? Did you feel anything? Did you kind of? Um, I felt that Betty was a bitch. (laughs) Right. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's it's a funny one because it's kind of like I guess you feel a little bit sorry for her, but at the same same time, she's sort of really mean to her kids. Yeah. Um, and also she sort of like treats she was sort of, what did she say 
I'm not your pick up your truck. I'm not your slave. Or she something. did say that. Yeah, she Which did. I'm just a bit like, yeah, but you're their mum. <laughs> and yeah, you shouldn't have to pick off up off them all the time. But they're like little kids, and their dads just left. So yeah, you know, true. bit of kindness, Betty, wouldn't go amiss. One of the things about this episode that's interesting, obviously, again, the whole uh, Mountain King sort of title. Um, the Mountain King was like, it's quite a domineering figure, right? It's, it's uh, the Mount, the the good king is one of the archetypes that um, that Carl Jung talks about. It's like, and it's basically an archetype of masculinity, and it's like how men kind of archetypally think that they're supposed to act. He's uh, his idea was that deep within all human beings is this idea of masculinity, and that masculinity is kind of. Um, presented itself through the idea of the good king and um what we see here with betty is like her sort of being this powering domineering person over her daughter right yeah it's really interesting that at one point she tells um bobby the son to go upstairs almost like sending him up to the top of the mountain kind of thing mm. if you see what i mean um but also in this scene is this idea of shame like where she shamed sally for smoking the cigarettes oh yeah i forgot i forgot sally was caught smoking in the bathroom and sally's kind of quite sort of angry about everything um and sort of like tries to shame betty back but doesn't quite come off but it's interesting that she talks about her father and stuff um and how much she misses him and how much she wants him to be there because that's like a you know the anima animus sort of thing um but yeah that's uh i, I just think it's really and then also there's the thing with the um the whole scene starts with um the the camera sort of zooming in as um betty's walking around you see the door like there's a lot of doors in this episode there's a lot of doors in the whole season but there's specifically in this episode yeah lot, that's the shot that doors stuck in my mind was that shot with the truck in the front and yeah, then yeah. like this so she's almost like through the doorway yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of the one that stuck with me which is surprising considering it was like an eight-year-old smoking a cigarette <laughs> but um there was a strong was some strong camera work there there's a lot of strong camera work this episode um so yeah it's kind of it just sets things up in terms of what we're going to be talking about and like one thing that I've realized while watching this episode is there's always in each scene, like the scene afterwards always refers to the previous scene in some sort of subtextual way. Wow. Okay. So, um, the next scene we see is Don getting off the bus and how does that relate to the previous scene? They're talking about Don and we see Don get off the, the, the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like, it's like Sally's kind of looking for another... She's looking for da- for Don as a parent, right? But Don is also looking... Like, Don has been sort of cast off by by Betty. And he's also looking for another parent. Yeah. See that kind of... Uh, that thing. I was, I'd, I'd ask you what you think about... I'd, I mean, I'd say... Yeah, well, okay. I mean, I'd say Don is more looking for himself. True... That's what I'd say. I mean, that's why he goes to find Anna. Okay. Because he's searching for his true self. True. I would say there is that in there. But within looking... We'll get into it a bit more later. It's like an onion. So many layers. We'll We'll get to that a bit later. But there is, I think, part of him looking for himself is finding another person that kind of makes him feel whole. 
So, like, part of... Well, yeah, I mean, if you skip to the end of the episode, that's pr- basically what she says to him, <laughs> isn't it? But the, the thing is, I guess, with the Anna character is that he is himself with her. Yes. More than anyone else. This is and a he very admits good point. that yes. this is to a... her. So, you know, without wanting to, to skip ahead, I, I kind of feel like he's looking for himself in, I... some, from, in someone that knows who he really is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's also, do you, do you think it's interesting that, or maybe it's just, a, this is just a me thing, but like, I find it interesting that um, Sally, uh, not Sally, Betty, so many names in the show, Betty and Anna have the same colour hair. I know that could just be a coincidence. Um, I, I honestly, I mean, you're either blonde, brunette or redhead. This is true, generally. this is true, so this is there's, true. And, you know, it was fashionable at the time. This is very true. This is very true. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't read too much. I did. Do you know what, though? What? You say that, but actually there was one shot where she was wearing, like, a really puffy... And she looked a little like... She looked like Betty in that yeah, shot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I'd ask you more about this Don getting off the bus thing, but I don't... I imagine there's not much you want to say about it. Well, you don't have to ask. I mean, you can ask me, but I don't really. That hasn't stuck in my mind. So. Right, okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so the next scene is when there's a meeting in Peggy's cramped office with Sal and Ken. I like this. <laughs> and um, like I said, like everything, kind of all the scenes seem to relate to the previous scene. Uh, and in this scene, I think. Well, what did you think of this scene first? I really like this scene just because I quite like the discussion about popsicles. I mean, I think it's quite, you know, comedic that it was in that office. Yeah. And that man was getting upset about his Xerox machine and all this sort of stuff. I know, but you know what I mean? It's like (laughs) they've obviously been in a messed up, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And I like that she bought them some booze, you know, to make them feel at home. Um, And I just think I kind of liked how they came to the idea together. Yeah. I mean, this was the first scene that I guess I kind of saw the religious connotations of what this episode was going to be. If there were any prior, I did not pick up on them. Um, But yeah, it definitely felt like, oh, ice lollies are like communion. (laughs) And I'm just like, what? But of course, we don't have those those lollies in the UK, do we? We do. I think we do. I've never seen them. Oh, I have. I've definitely had one. I haven't well, had probably they, since have... I was lived in Bradford, but I haven't had. Did they have the two sticks? Still? Yeah. So yeah. I've never seen those in in the in the UK. I'm a bit older than you, so maybe it's just something from the eighties that you don't. Remember. Maybe maybe it's from the dark ages. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, I I really like that. I really liked how they came together and and came up with this. Like, it felt quite like a nice happy scene for a fucking change on this show. <laughs> It's, it's so, you mentioned so many things there that were really cool like this whole idea of uh, Christianity that was yeah. in the scene and like, it's such a weird thing that's in this episode just like dropped in out of nowhere oh it's right? everywhere it's it, it, everywhere it feels so weird but that's another thing that links it to Carl Jung because Carl Jung was basically brought up a Christian and believed very much in Christianity even though he was a psychologist um, Carl Jung is basically the guy who's um, responsible for have you heard of the hero of a thousand faces no have you heard of the hero's journey have you heard of Star Wars yes <laughs> so Star Wars is based on the idea of the hero's journey which came from a book written by a guy called Joseph Campbell called the hero of a thousand faces mm-hmm. and he based his entire book his entire philosophy 
on the um, psychology of Carl Jung. Right. And so he, he's a huge influence on Western culture, basically. Uh, and he started his whole sort of anthropological um, analysis looking at all religions around the world and found similar beats within all these religions mm. and then kind of like gave up on all of that and then came back to the came back to America and just studied um, Christianity because he knew Christianity because he was a Christian so he a lot of the stuff that he talks about infuses a lot of Christianity in it which is obviously how we see throughout the season all these different Christian things coming into it I was completely wrong I thought it was like the name of the father stuff but actually it was more this kind of Christianity kind of pull from Carl Jung sort of coming into everything, I think. Anyway, um, we get that kind of thing. But what I really like about this this scene in relation to the previous two scenes is this idea that Ken and Peggy are like the parents and Sal's like the kid. I did not pick up on that. So Sal's kind of like in the background, sort of like just coming along with everything and sort of like he I think he's the one that kind of says something about the pops and how his mum and dad used to kind of give him pops and yeah stuff. He, doesn't he say something like oh it's like taking bread at communion or something yeah. sharing bread at communion yeah and then like and then yeah. Ken who's in the scene who's really nice and is like is, is in is involved in the scene and he's like he wants to be there and stuff kind of at the same time he's also being a bit of a dick and he's also being quite critical of everything mm. and quite domineering and quite sort of like i don't want to be here i think that's a dumb idea and all this kind of stuff but then you have this um and if you think of him as the father you can think of peggy as this kind of mother figure who's on, they're both on like equal sort of footing and she can say to him like no, I agree with Sal, that's a good idea. And it's kind of them all working, like you say, all them working together as like... But, 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 wait, 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 right? <laughs> so what religion is Ken? I don't know. Right? Because that's what you could look at because um, Sal is remembering his Christian upbringing. Yeah. Peggy remembers her Catholic upbringing. Yeah, okay, okay. And he's non-religious. Okay. So the two of those, like Sal and Peggy can understand this yeah. whereas ken can't yeah that's 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 totally valid as well um i don't disagree. i don't know why you put in a marriage <laughs> no no because the reason i'm saying that is because it's like they work as a family unit it's like they i think this to me there's something parental about the way they're looking after um sal's feelings mm. or, or the way that you know sal has this idea and it gets kind of it, it not pulled apart but kind of like looked at from different angles so obviously ken thinks it's like uh it's, it's weird and bad and all this kind of stuff and peggy's just kind of like i said on an equal footing with him and quite maternal in sort of protecting his feelings she's kind of like no i can see it working i can i can see what you mean by that mm. that's how that's what it means to me i could be wrong and oh and also i don't think that there's no such thing as wrong <laughs> Fair enough. Just putting out <laughs> and then there's um there's one thing i want to mention as well the thing about the pops mm. and the reason they use pops like you remember i was talking about the cold and hot media no no well hopefully the listeners remember because you can just go back to the last podcast or whatever, whenever <laughs> i mentioned it but anyway um i was saying that cold media is like a female thing where it's like it involves a lot of uh, interaction and a lot of um work a lot of like work people working together and mask uh, uh, warm media this is like a it's by the guy what's his name malcolm McLuhan. 
and and <laughs> and warm media hot media is basically it's um it doesn't require as much um interaction with it it's like you know how men kind of go off and do their own thing without actually talking to anyone just think they can do everything by themselves mm -hmm. it's that kind of like dichotomy so anytime you see coldness in the show it kind of denotes some sort of feminine power and when you see something really hot remember that remember the episode indian summer yeah and <laughs> uh, when the, everybody's like really hot and everyone's really warm and don was like cheating on his wife and it got every gotten everything he wanted um so it's kind of like you got you anytime you see something hot happen you usually don's winning anytime you see something cold happen usually betty's winning um so that's that's that um is there anything else you want to say about that that scene nope okay cool we'll move on to the next one okay so this is like a really short scene but pete mentions something in this scene that i want to go into in a bit of detail so this is when pete was kind of uh, he comes in eating a candy bar. Yeah, yeah. And he tries to, and and Hildy tells him about um, the adoption. The adoption. Yeah. So what did you think of this? I thought it was funny. There's so much funny stuff. In I this do you know what though. I have to say, I kind of like Pete more and more these days. Like I actually don't feel like he was a dickhead this episode. Right. Okay. Interesting. I feel like he was. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's dramatic. Yeah. But I don't think he's a dickhead. Right. Right. Um. I'm gonna think he was a bit blindsided. I mean, it's interesting that she immediately assumed that he was considering this adoption. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a whole lot. I like. I did like. I did notice that he was eating a candy bar. Yeah. But I, I, I don't remember what it was, and I, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say about it. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. This, it's kind of a short scene, and I didn't have much to say about it until I kind of stared at it for ages, <laughs> like a massive nerd. The um so this for this for me this theme the theme of this scene is basically persona and complex. So like you've got um first of all you got Pete putting on this persona of knowing what's going on, being an adult, which is kind of denoted by him eating the the the, the candy bar kind of for me represents some sort of control, pretending to be in control. Mm. Um and the and and the the idea of him. So in the scene he mentions this guy Bert Peterson. Yeah. And he's really pissed off about Bert Peterson. We don't know why he's pissed off about Bert Peterson. It's almost like he has a complex about Bert Peterson, right? It's like he gets some he has these feelings attached to Bert Peterson that we don't really know what they are. They're just there in the ether and he just anytime he hears that name he just he wishes he would die, right? Mm -hmm. Um so there's kind of all that stuff. And in the scene before, um Peggy says something about um how she picks up the the poster from a night you remember the a night to remember thing when she was she made that poster and they were all sort of yeah yeah that episode was called a night to remember which if you take it, the idea of memory into consideration that's how complexes are created through like our sort of hidden memories right so that's kind of, so that's a a nod to that but the thing i want to point out in this episode in this scene is Pete mentions offhandedly IBM. Okay. The company IBM. Yeah. And I think, and I was trying to figure out why he mentioned IBM. And literally, so many things happened in IBM that kind of reflect the themes of this episode. It's kind of astounding that he would just mention that and then they just move on without even making a big deal out of it. So IBM stands for uh, International Business Machines. 
which is how in the show humans are expected to behave but you like if you take for instance peggy and the photocopy machine yeah so peggy's expected to be this kind of worker but like she obviously is a human being so she kind of steps out of that role but that's how you know capitalism expects us to to behave i guess um ibm was the name of what was originally called ctr um, but even though the company changed names, it still has the elements that it had when it was called CTR. So that's like human beings, we can kind of change, but we can, we're still the same internally if we want to be. Um, IBM was made up of lots of different types of companies, which is kind of like how com complexes work. There's loads of stuff. I don't want to go through more because I'm starting to see your, your eyes getting a bit heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically, basically IBM has a massive thematic resonance with this episode anyway <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> it's right. Don't worry I'm, about I'm aware that sometimes when you, it's, it's not it's not i mean that was to be honest i just didn't really get what you were on about <laughs> so if, i'm sorry if my eyes glazed no over. it's good it means i know what the audience is thinking when i'm talking bollocks so it's good it's fine it's I'm fine. sorry if anyone really wanted to hear the rest of that <laughs> If there was more, if I'm you want to sure. hear, if you want to hear more, just email me. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's move on to the next scene. Okay. So this is kind of I don't know. I found I guess I found these these scenes a bit. I guess because they're older people, and that's not. Oh, to slug is off this the old... bloody bird? Like <laughs> yeah, Bert and he just sister. every time I look at him, I just think he's the Colonel. Like, <laughs> every single time. This is the one with. Is him. he supposed to be like, like look like? Is that like one of Matthew Weiner's? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. Maybe that'll come up in latest, later <laughs> episodes. Who knows? Um, this is the one where he, meet, he meets his sister to discuss the merger and I out any issues um, with this merger with um, what they called uh, Putnam, Powell and whatever they're called. I can't remember what they're called now. It was a boring scene. It was a bit. It was. It was I, I, I wouldn't say it was boring, but I guess it's kind of because they're kind of older people. You can kind of take yourself out of it a bit. Because we're so young and cool, <laughs> we just kind as, of... As a character, like, I don't know, I feel like with him, he's always had kind of a bit of a comedic role, you know, like he's, he's a bit nutty and he sort of walks around without his shoes on because he's like, it's Japanese and stuff. And this is the first time you see him in kind of a bit more of a, I mean, I might have forgotten, but the first time I've ever seen him in more of like a sort of woe is him kind yeah. of situation and i don't know i just really struggled to find any empathy for him that's interesting um and i i just kind of i guess it was i mean i don't know i mean it's not like he's gonna lose anything he's another mountain king isn't he he's like i guess he's but like he's, he's stuck at the top of the mountain like. well he's not though that's the point i think he because he's about to lose i think part of the the thing of the good king in terms of the archetypal um, of Carl uh, Jung's archetype, is at some point the good king has to give up his kingdom. He has to move on. He has to grow up, uh, and that's kind of what's happening to to Cooper. But I, I don't know. I don't know if it is that. I mean, I, I I like that link to the Mountain King because obviously one of the things that he said is it might have been later on. He's like, oh, I'm going to be like the Queen of England. Yeah, he said that in this scene. In yeah. this scene. Yeah. And I think that's quite in interesting because I guess it is that whole thing of you're a ruler. You have you have you know, fortune and everyone thinks of you as this great figure. Yeah. But actually you have no power. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. is that what he really is gonna miss having? Because actually if you, if you think about it like that, like the king of a mountain surely doesn't have that much power. <laughs> I don't know the story. 
but like i mean if you're a king of a mountain like the mountain is bigger than you are if you see what i mean well that's that's a very good point actually um i think that might come up later on in the very final to be scene. continued <laughs> um, in terms of the previous scene and how this relates to the previous scene pete projects his frustration onto burt peterson but in this scene cooper projects his maternal need onto his sister alice that's why i put his maternal need. Yeah, his need for like a mother figure. So he's kind of like trying to please All these his fucking sister. men just need to get a grip. Sorry. It's like they all want mums and wives and Yeah, I know. Like look at look at Peggy, right? Look at her going for it. Well, we'll talk about that a bit as, as well. Okay, so moving on to the next scene because that scene's kind of <laughs> that's not the best scene of the show um in the it's still a good scene though i just want to point out if the guy who plays cooper is listening we still like the scene and we still i mean like is him. he still alive yes he's still alive he's very oh. he's actually very funny um in a he flash wasn't in that scene <laughs> in, 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 in a flash in a flashback uh anna confronts don uh slash dick about stealing her husband's identity. Now, this is kind of a long scene and a load of stuff happens in it. So, I have questions before we begin. Go on. The first is, have we seen her before? Yes. Okay. When did we see her before? Because I, I did think I recognised her, yeah. but I don't know who she is. So, the first time we saw her was when Don was trying to buy a car and then changed his mind. And he had a flashback where he was in the car sales... Um, shop or whatever and he's about to sell a car to these two this man and his son and he looks out of the window and he sees her outside oh. and then she comes in and she says you aren't you're not who you say you are i know who you really are because i like had a had like a it's in the, oh. the gold violin but we've not seen her in this environment before in that little no. room no no okay. no no because no, no. i didn't i didn't get at first that it was a flashback. Ah, interesting. I was just kind of like... There's a lot of that. I thought, because he went to the house in yeah. the scene where he gets off the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knocked on the door. Yeah. And then he's suddenly... And then the next time we see him, he's in this apartment. So I didn't twig straight away that it was a flashback. That's another... I think that's another um, Carl Jung thing where the idea of... So if you think about complexes, complexes hit you when you're a kid, but they stick with you all through your life. Mm. so it's almost like time doesn't exist it's almost like what happened to you then is still happening to you now and that's kind of like how the time works in this episode where you're never really sure where don is in terms of time period he could be in the past he could be now and that's and that to me feels very true for this episode because like after i pegged that it was a flashback yeah. every time don was there i was like is it is it present don yeah. or past don yeah exactly, exactly. um and I, yeah that that it because it did kind of because i was a bit like what why are they talking about this like this is really <laughs> random and then she said because she because he came in and she, and she was sort of going like why are you lying to me and i'm like i because i don't really remember what happened in the last episode i was like oh um what happened here then yeah. and then when she's like you're not don draper and i was like oh this has to be a flashback yeah um and i think that idea of complexes and how we sort of like try to keep the past in the past and try not to sort of try and move away from it run away from it that's basically why that song is playing before the scene because obviously in Pierre gint that's when he's running down the hall mm. to get away from from the mat from the the troll king so many kings um 
and in this scene and, and and in this scene he's like literally trying to get rid of get rid of um of Havana. He's running away. He's mm. like trying to hide. So um and it's interesting that it's all kind of in the shadow. It's all kind of quite a dark yeah, scene yeah. as well. Yeah, I was like, where the hell are they? <laughs> it's like last time we saw him it was like sunshine and rainbows and yeah. now it's and it and you know, I think because there were some things I was trying to figure out time-wise because she said it's been seven years at one point. So I'm assuming that means seven years since she last saw Don or seven years since the war. I'm unclear. Mm, I think it's seven years since she saw her husband. Yeah. But seven years is a, is a basically a time of like, you know what they say about relationships and how they last seven years mm. and like how things change after seven years. I think that's kind of ties into the whole theme as well. I mean, there is a thing in this scene, I guess, and a little bit of a theme, I guess, throughout the episode of sort of facing your fears in some ways. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it is, it's very much that Don has been running away from this, hiding from this. Yeah. And then when he faces it, which not all of the characters do face their fear, I think. If he does face it, but... Um, Well, exactly. I mean, I think, well, he, he kind of does face it in that he tells her the truth. Well, we'll see when we get to that. <laughs> he tells us something, <laughs> but, we'll... but he did. But no, no, no. I don't understand because he did. Because Don, the real Don Draper. Oh, when he tells her about yeah, um... the real Don Draper died, right? And he yeah. took his identity. Right, he did. That tell part her. is true. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he tells her that he does, and he tells her why, sort of why, not not fully why. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that he tells her that, and then they become really close exactly and i think that's what's that's what's interesting about the whole face your fear thing is because some of the characters don't either they don't face it yeah or they just sort of because i mean i think he sort of faces it and then he gets the outcome that he couldn't have imagined yeah yeah. um that has that actually rather than being detrimental to him yeah is actually a huge asset for him Mm. going forward yeah um and when the when others face their fears or or see their their fears visualized, do not have the same. There's there's also the thing that when he does kind of tell her what happened, she ends the scene by saying, "What are we gonna do with you? Or what am I gonna do with you?" Yeah. As if like by telling her the truth, although it doesn't, it's not made massively explicit. But by telling her the truth, now he's kind of almost indebted to her, and now she can do whatever she wants with him. Almost like a king. Well, I think he feels like that. Yeah, like a king. Yeah. Um, uh, like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think that's, I think there's an element of truth in that. So the next scene is basically almost like the exact opposite of that scene, where everything was dark in the first scene. The next scene is where Don actually walks into the current timeline and he goes into the house and everything's really bright and yeah. really sort of like light and stuff. Yeah. Um, and you've got that kid playing the piano. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, do they have a kid together? That's where my <laughs> mind went. I was like, oh shit. That's such a, that's such a plot twist. No, uh, but it's not his child. Yeah. Um, but it was very like, yeah, that's what I mean. Is that I guess I can see where you're thinking with Betty at that moment. Because she is very like housewifey teaching the kid piano. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. It's very sweet. She's dressed in one of those poofy... 50 skirts like and there's this i don't but for, for me i don't i see the little kid as almost like it's almost like a 
Don character. Like she's she's looking after this kid and then Don comes in and she looks after Don in the same sort of way. It's almost like that room that she's in is like this kind of you could see it as a a reception for a therapist. Mm. And she just sits down and they sit down next to each other. But like so I go through this show like with a fine tooth comb, like way too much. Like there's too I pay too much attention to the details, right? And to the point where I'm looking at like individual bits of dialogue and stuff. And through going through the dialogue, to me, and you you won't agree with this, but I'm gonna say it anyway, it almost seemed like there was a weird thing from Anna in how she responded to him being there. Now on the surface it looked like she's very happy to for him to be there, she's being really nice to him and everything. But underneath that it there was it, there was a sense that she kind of A she was almost not sure why he was there and she didn't really want him to be there and she was just kind of like being as nice and hospitable as she could be. She was being nice, she mm. cared, but she was just kind of like okay, what do I have to do? Now this guy's here who's paid for all this stuff. What do I have to do to just kind of like keep him happy? I mean, I, I actually would agree with that. Because, oh, really? I mean, reflecting on later episodes, I mean, uh, le- later moments in the in the, in the the show, uh, you know, she says later on, oh, after he asked for a divorce, oh, well, we can't spend Christmas together. It's almost like that's a release. Yeah, right, okay. You see what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I feel like she... Th- there's a point later on that comes where she thinks she's been released. Right, right, right. And she hasn't. Interesting, interesting. And it's that whole thing of, um, you know, sort of loyalty and, and duty and, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like in this scene there's a bit of a power struggle as well. Like, like Don's kind of just turned up and he's like, can I have a shower? Can I do all this stuff? And he's like making himself at home. And she's kind of like, not showing it, but kind of like, okay, you can do all these things, but you know trying to get him to sort of speak about his problems and he doesn't really want and he, he basically treats her like he treats betty in that you know when when he comes home from work he's like he just wants to go upstairs and... i think he's a bit nicer to her than he is to betty well yeah 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 totally but under underneath that there's this kind of like i'm the man of the house i can you know i'll do what i want even though he's being nice about it mm. he's being kind of like obviously she's not betty she's a different person but there's like this underlining kind of foot under the table kind of thing. I'm home sort of thing. Um, that's what I got from it anyway. I mean, I I wouldn't. I, I don't know if he. That's tricky for me. Um, okay. I, I mean, I wouldn't say he feels like he's coming home. Right. I don't think he's he really sees it that way no no not I, I like i said this is kind of i'm not saying this is exactly how he's thinking consciously i'm thinking no no is... but i th- i think that he, you are right in saying he has a sense of entitlement yeah that's 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 yeah. a really good word for it actually yeah that's what i mean i think entitlement's a really good word um anyway so we move on so this is the first this is the first scene in a bunch of scenes that all seem to ref- um echo echo each other yeah, yeah. So then we've got the scene with Pete and Trudy. And Pete comes in the door. Boom. Oh. Knocks the door down. Hell's bells, Trudy. That is my quote of the week. Hell's bells, Trudy. But this is such a cool scene. It's such like, a great scene. And she's like, and he's obviously shouted and screaming that, you know, we're not doing this. What did you think? What did you think? Just I, like, just, I just thought it was great. I love that he stuck up for himself. Because right. that's one of the things that he sort of hasn't really done. Interesting that you say so he much. stuck up for himself. He does. Stand up for himself. I know, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not disagreeing, but it's interesting you say that because I, mean, I think the opposite. 
You think what? I think Trudy stuck up for herself. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you can't come in with a line like hell's bells, Trudy, <laughs> and not be standing up for yourself. <laughs> it's just that I get... But this is the point. I think this is the real point about this. It is... It's like I was saying about the earlier scene with Ken and Peggy, right? Mm. In this kind of equal relationship. But this is like a very equal relationship, even though they're screaming at each other. Oh, it's not. It's no, 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 no. This has never been an equal relationship. Okay, okay. Like, there has always been a thing with her her parents, where she wants to live, what she wants to do. Oh, okay. This is not. No, no. I mean, Pete's always just kind of gone along with everything. Interesting. That's really. Because I guess from my point of view, I. You, you make a good point. That's a really, really good point. Um, from my point of view, it was like he came in and he was very sort of like aggressive. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a big part of Carl Jung's thing, I think. It's like, you know, aggression could be seen as a bad thing, but it's like owning that shadow, that sort of dark side of yourself and being able to control it, right? Um, and he comes in like that and then she's very kind of the same sort of like angry and just kind of... You know, they clash together really mm. well. Um, and also we have this whole thing with the chicken being thrown out of the window. Oh, so good. <laughs> I love that. I was like, no, he's not. And, he, and then when he threw the, like, the plate as well, I was like, holy shit, you're going to annoy Trudy so much. <laughs> and, and and to get a bit like um, subtextual about it, the um, for me, the chicken is very much a feminine motherly kind of image. And the window, even though it's not quite a window, for me, is like a masculine sort of... It's, it's almost like a masculine door, right? And it's like him throwing his feminine thing out of the window. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what it means. <laughs> it means something around those things. You know, things. most chickens that people eat are male chickens. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, the, the, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter. I was going to say something about chickens being male, but, like, it, I'm sure that's a rooster. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We can move on. Because um, the way he ends this scene, you know what I was saying about ice and and cold things the scene ends with him putting Putting the ice ice. in the glass and it's very much sort of like like you just said um trudy is pretty much in control i don't see i see so i guess how i'd translate that scene if i were a philosopher or whatever (laughs) i think i would probably say it was him rather than throwing his own value like his feminine side out or whatever you said yeah I would say that scene was about him rejecting the conventional family, traditional American family life. Okay. Because the th- I think with Trudy, her thing is she doesn't understand, like she's never understood why he wouldn't want the things that she wants. Okay. Because those, that's the kind of traditional pathway, right, right. I guess, right? So he comes home and it's so conventional. Like she's got the tea on the table ready for him. Big puffy dress. You know, big puffy dress. Yeah, she looks nice. (laughs) She's all ready for her husband to come home to her. She's made these appointments because she's so busy. She's being the perfect wife. Yeah, yeah. And he, and she can't understand why he doesn't want that. And it's the the same thing we had with the apartment. Yeah. Like, she couldn't understand why he wouldn't want to live in an apartment that he couldn't afford. Cool. Like, even though it was supplemented by her family or whatever the deal was. I can't remember now, but... You know, and I think this got to a point where Pete was like, this isn't what I want. And that's why he throws the the chicken, because that's the traditional family dinner, isn't it? The roast chicken. He could have thrown out the mashed potatoes as well (laughs) later on and we just didn't see it. Um, But the fact that he threw out the china as well, I think is, you know, because again, that's such a big thing in in America. Like there would be family china. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I think that was him rejecting the whole, I, this is not what I want. Because I'm not even sure if he wants a kid. Right, right, right. Interesting. You know, whether it's adopted or not, I'm just not sure. That's really cool. That's a really, really good read. Yeah, I um, I don't disagree at all. There's a, all of that stuff makes total sense, even as it goes on in the in the rest of the episode. Um, but then we've got the third part of this. Actually, I think there's four parts to this, and this is the third part. Um, we've got Greg and Joan in bed, and Greg turning Joan down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, if I was going to say anything about the scene, mm-hmm. if I was going to try and figure out what it was about, is it that, you know, back then, mm. I'm sure it wasn't normal for a woman to be on top. Yep. And she was assuming a more masculine yep. position. Yep. Or a more independent position, potentially. And well, he she's being... He likes submissive. This is like the, Greg. the total opposite of the scene before then right in terms yeah. of like your pete is <laughs> eventually seems to accept well later on in the episode he seems to accept that even though he doesn't want all those things he's lumbered with it and he has to deal with it uh and here greg is nope i'm the man and if we're gonna have sex we're gonna have sex when i want to have it which we'll go into a bit later it's interesting that this scene starts off with um it has that million dollar movie thing. I don't know if you remember this, like black and white. So it shows the TV. Mm. There's a million dollar movie thing. It's like a TV. It's like a thing that they used to show in America where they'd show like the same movie like every day, twice a day for a month or a week or something like that. So it's just like this like repetitive thing. But also the film that they're showing is the day the earth stood still. So it's <laughs> kind of like, so there's this thing. I don't know if it's particularly a cult, uh, Carl Jung thing but this idea of stagnation and how you know when we're psychologically battled a lot we can be the worst thing that can happen is I did a whole podcast on the end of the Sopranos and I know you haven't seen Sopranos but the the, the real villain or the real sort of bad thing in the Sopranos is the idea that uh, you just give up you just don't care anymore uh, and I think that's kind of what Finish the sentence. And I think that's kind of what this whole the uh, the day the earth stood still is. It's kind of it's almost pre. It's like a almost pre showing what happens to. Um, well, it's showing what the, what's happened to their relationship where it's become stagnant because Greg is a big douchebag, and um, <laughs> Joan wants to move things along. She wants to keep things going. Uh, yeah, moving on. Um, so, yeah, so we see... And this scene kind of ends with them, like, being in the same bed, but being, like, physically apart. Unlike um, the first scene with Don and um, Anna being sat really close together. So it's kind of like we've gone through the gamut where at the end of the Peggy, uh, the Trudy and Pete scene, they're in totally different rooms. And now we've got two people in the same space, but, like, completely emotionally apart, right? <laughs> Uh, and then the next scene is this very silent single scene of Peggy lighting a cigarette and standing in the office alone at night. And didn't and even it, register that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really important scene. Oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> I must, like... There must have got a text message or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think it's really important because it's like Peggy is now. She it, for me, it's this is like, and it's not just Peggy on her own in the in the office, like on like in this high sort of building, like she can see the whole, um, the whole New York skyline. She's in a silhouette. It's like she has. She's in her shadow. She and she's smoking a cigarette like, um, uh, Sally at the beginning of the episode. But Sally's kind of like smoking, but she's not allowed to smoke. Peggy, who never, she doesn't, she smoked, but she doesn't smoke that often. This is like the first time she smoked like confidently and she's smoking and she's at the top. She, she is literally in this moment, the mountain king. Okay. Do you think, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head. Okay. Do you think there's like something symbolic about booze and alcohol in this episode? Yes. Uh, booze and cigarettes in this episode, because like, if we go back to, um, so there's the smoking at the beginning. Yes. Then when you have the boring scene with uh, Cooper and his sister, mm-hmm. like she has a drink and yes. he doesn't. All right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't notice that. But you know what well, she says? She says to the guy, "Do you mind if? Uh, would you mind if I drink?" And yeah. he's like, "I'm not going to tell on you or something." And she orders a vermouth from the Cleveland. Cleveland won't tell anyone. I think it's more to do with the word Cleveland, which I don't fully understand, but. Cleveland comes up a lot, but yeah, drink is a big pro- big thing in the in the show. Because the characters, because I mean, even then, after Pete and Trudy argue, he has a drink. He does, yeah, he does. So it's like I think that's more to do with the ice, but yeah, the okay. alcohol is a thing. I think for me, and this is this is just me, and this might be wrong. Um, for me, um, cigarettes are almost like a, a distraction. Like so, when you do something that maybe is out of character or something that's very difficult, you have a cigarette. Mm-hmm. So the characters have cigarettes, and um, drinking alcohol has something to do with people who aren't really close or people who sort of hide some sort of negativity by having a drink. So like become it's like a friendship thing. You only see people who don't really know each other well uh, drinking. Um, or at least trying to sort of paper over any kind of problems that they have um, with drink, basically. Uh, that's what I think. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, so she has a, she, she, she lights a cigarette. She stands and she's like, does like a big stretch. And she's kind of like in her shadow. And she's kind of, yeah, she is in that moment, the Mountain King. And it's kind of all looking very good for her. And this is, and this is contrasted with the three scenes before where, where these people are trying to sort of work together and there's things or problems with all of them. And obviously Peggy is very much whole because she's um, embraced her shadow mm. and she's like almost like the, the uber person in the, in the whole show because she's the only one that can actually deal with her problems on her own um, because she's almost ascended to so another plane of kind of consciousness i don't know anyway (laughs) it's weird because the thing about carl jung is like even though he thought of himself as like a scientist he's basically a mystic he he, he, all he's all about chime like you see like um um anna when they in the next scene when when we see them like anna's sitting out on her, her porch and we see we hear all the chime bells and all the kind of like signs of mysticism and and it's kind of all to me all evokes the the idea of Carl Jung and mm. and how um, what he was all about anyway so that's the, that's the next scene basically it's a uh, Don and Anna sitting on the pot and the on on the in, watching the ocean and it's the scene where Don kind of confesses about lots of stuff 
and it's the scene where she tell like where where he finds out he's wearing another man's pants and all this kind of stuff. What did you think? Anything? Any big things that come to mind? Um. No, I mean I think you just see for me. I mean you'll probably have loads of theories, <laughs> but I don't know. I just got that this this is the first time we've sort of really seen that kind of honest relationship. Right. Don right. having like an honest relationship with a person mm-hmm. that wasn't based on wanting something off them or I don't know. Cause he said he, he sort of alludes to the fact that he feels like Anna knows more about him than his wife, which yep. is true. Yeah. 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 And then she says, Oh, she doesn't have to know everything about you and you don't have to know everything about her. Yeah. I don't really get that line. But for me, this is, I guess, this is more about what I was talking but, about. Sorry, go on. I, do, I think, I, I mean, I think that line probably translates a bit to them as well. Like, okay. he's sort of, he, she's almost setting a boundary on him. Right, like, okay. Do you see, it's like, she knows this huge secret about him, but she, that doesn't mean that she needs to know everything. Right. About oh, him. Do you see I what see I mean? What, that's a, that, that actually does feed into what I was going to say. Which is, so this scene for me moves along the idea of um, Peggy being on her own and sort of being, no, 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 Peggy, Peggy being on her own in in this scene, like stretching and stuff and like being and like sort of accepting herself and like being able to comfort herself. Uh, And Don needs Anna, Don needs to kind of like be with someone to kind of feel whole. So he needs to kind of explain, he needs to be, he's, he's not. He's not individuated, which mm. is a Carl Jung term. He's not able to kind of comfort himself. He still needs an external anima because an anima is the female version of himself. And he uses Anna as his anima, which is Anna anima. They kind of quite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, there's loads of stuff in that scene. And there's, there's also this thing of, you know, I was talking about synchronicity and mm. the idea of, you probably don't. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> I said that synchronicity was like uh, coincidences, right? Yeah. And in this scene, Anna says this thing about, oh, I was thinking about you, and then you just turned up. It's yeah. that kind of mysticism that I was talking about, which is kind of cool. And there's loads of other things, but we'll just move on to the next scene. So the next scene is when Roger goes to check on Cooper and to make sure that they're on the same page about this merger. Do you have any any thoughts on this? I'm, I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know that you you probably find it boring. I don't find anything new in the scene. Like it's he goes fun. on about how he loves what's her name, Jane. Yep. I love Jane. I'm so happy. Okay. Yep. Um. Well, what's really? I guess it's funny that you say that you don't find anything new in this scene because it's essentially for me it feels like a rerun of the scene with him and his sister they're basically doing the same thing in fact they say the same thing in both scenes which is it's a merger and i I feel like that's trying to say something about how um cooper even though like cooper's supposed to be this kind of like you know captain of industry he's like really cunning he's a he's like for the time he's like a billionaire or whatever very very powerful man but in these two scenes He's trying to please everyone. He's trying to kind of like, he, you know, he, for his sister, he's like, he's given her everything. He's like made her a millionaire, made her rich and all this kind of stuff. And she kind of helped him in, re- in return as well. And But with um, with 
with with Roger, he's sort of like looking after him, trying to sort of like almost be like this almost matronly figure to to Roger, like looking after his like needs and stuff and not really thinking about his own. And it's almost like, you know, in the previous scene with Don and Anna, like Don kind of needs Anna to be this female side of him. Mm. And it's almost like um, uh, Cooper is trying to be this feminine side of Roger. He's, I think, or maybe it's the other way around. I'm not entirely sure. But like, we see the two of them, we see Cooper try to bend over backwards to accommodate him in the same way but it doesn't really work. It's they're not on the same page, even though that even though Cooper's making himself on the same page, he's not kind of he's not saying no. He's not pushing back on Roger, which is what he should be doing if he wants to do what he wants. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that's how I feel about that that scene. But we should just move on. Okay, so I I think you're gonna like this scene. I think this is this is probably one of your favorite scenes. I'm just guessing. What? Well, this is the scene where Pete argues with his father-in-law about Trudy I mean he's just found his balls I mean I like so I, I like that he doesn't back down yeah because first of all like Trudy getting her dad involved wow well we, uh, yeah I guess yeah that's a good point that's a good point really good but this point. is the thing is it's that it is a it's a power struggle because I don't know what his name is what's his name Ye- no it's not Eugene is it Tom Tom, Tom. yeah so Tom thinks that he's the head of the household. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly another king. Another king. Well, this is what I mean: is the, there's a there's a king here um, who thinks that he rules things that he doesn't rule in Pete's opinion. Yeah, and it's like he has this empire. He what he does is he effectively tells Pete that the only reason that they went with him is because he was. The, in that company and it yeah. had nothing to do with his talent yeah. because they say you know that Clearasol is doing really well and blah 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 and he, he sort of dangles this oh we're just gonna put it on hold in case you know things change or whatever mm. and it's cl- it's a clear attempt at manipulation yeah yeah um, for me this scene what's really interesting is this scene starts off with Pete on dictaphone sort of talking into a dictaphone and explaining this he does i'm not even going to attempt to do the monologue that he does but if you listen to the monologue it's so hard to follow cuz everything gets lost in the detail you know you don't really know what he's talking about it kind of it starts off kind of making sense and then it just gets more and more sort of convoluted as he goes along and that's kind of from a carl jung perspective it's kind of how our complexes work where you know when you're a kid like i said you get bitten by a dog or you know you might even I don't know, someone says something to you in the wrong way and you kind of don't notice it at the time, but another person says it, you don't notice it at the time. And then all of a sudden the word cake can mean something like really bad to you and you don't know where it came from. It's just this thing that popped up out of nowhere. Um, and that's kind of what happens in this scene because like when um, Tom phones him up and tries to talk to him, he they kind of never actually say what they're talking about. It's all this kind of like under the radar kind mm. of like... You know you're gonna lose the you're gonna lose the account, but you know it. Don't worry about it. It's just um, we're just kind of re- things are under review. And Pete is trying to Pete the, to, to Pete's credit, he stays almost kind of focused on what's actually being said and says like ask him outright like what are we talking about? Is this about Trudy? You know he's kind of very sort of 
yeah, strongly kind of believing in himself and not kind of just going along with things. And, you know, which is, I guess, what he's done up until this point. He's like always kind of been swept along. And now he makes a decision to stay where he is and sort of like picks, you know, pick a, pick a side and essentially just free himself. Um, and I think, um, I think that's kind of what um, Cooper isn't doing. Cooper's mm. kind of like letting Roger just kind of um, almost walk all over him and just kind of like tell him what the point, tell him what to do. And he's kind of just going along with it, even though he probably wouldn't see it that way. Um, but I do like the whole, how that's sort of uh, encapsulated in that monologue at the beginning where it just makes no sense. If you listen to it, it's really funny. Um, there's other things we could talk about, but we're going to move on to the next scene, which is this uh, this interesting uh, flashback where Don talks about getting married to Betty. Oh, yeah, and then he asks her for a divorce. Yes. What do you think of that? If anything. I thought it was a good scene. Yeah. I thought it was like... It's interesting to see Pete... Um, interesting to see Don smiling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. Like, first of all... First of all... Um, sorry, the cat's, cat's just, just staring at us. <laughs> I think he's looking at this, uh, this cup that I'm no, drinking tea from. He's probably wondering what we're eating. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, hang on, it's gonna come to me. It's gonna come to me. Gone. Yeah, and, and I think it shows first of all that uh, Don and Betty yep. were actually in love at one point, which I don't think we've actually ever seen. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever because he comes in and he's like gushing about her. Yeah. She's so she's really pretty. She's from a good family. It's almost like he's trying to convince her that they that this woman is a good match for him. That's interesting you say that because I think when he's saying all those things, they all seem to reflect well on him. Like, she's really pretty. She really likes me. She's like, and it's all kind of, it's all about him. So you say that he loved her at one point, but I, I think there's something about Betty, not just how it sort of reflects on him, but also how she reminds him of Anna. Also, another thing before we go, on, this is like a bit of a, a bit of a, a sidebar. Sidebar. Um, Anna begins with A. She's the first person he's married to. Betty begins with B. <gasps> there might be somebody else who has no. a C in their name. I'm not sure. No. Yeah, no, no. Oh my gosh. A B C. Easiest one, two, three. <laughs> anyway, back to the thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I I don't know. I don't know if the, I think there's something about the way he talks about Betty that's kind of a bit sus? I don't. I don't think it is. I feel like... I mean, yeah, he's sort of going, oh, you know, he's sort of trying to big himself. But I, I think that's more a case of him almost trying to impress her. A bit like, you know, you would try and impress your... like. It's almost like she's his mother and he's going like, she's great. Yeah, she's yeah, from a good totally, family. Totally, like, yeah, yeah. You know, you'd love her. It's good. He's almost going as far as that. But and then... Sorry, go on. And then she says, because then he asks her for the divorce, and then she's like, oh, there's going to be another Mrs. Draper. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is the thing. So when you say it's like his mother and there's going to be another Mrs. Draper, that, to me, is another, recall, recalls another um, Carl Jung um, concept, which, again, 
is the archetype thing. Right. So archetypes are basically, it's hard to describe what archetypes are. I've kind of, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, archetypes are, so you got archetype symbols, right? An archetype symbol is like the mountain king or an archetype symbol is a mother or an archetype. These are symbols of an archetype, which is kind of like something within us that kind of tells us those things exist. Mm. So like we know that a, we know what a mother is because we have an idea of a mother. And then when we see someone who's like kind and, and you know, nurturing to us, we see that person has a mother. Um, and that's basically how Don sees Betty. He sees Betty as an archetype of Anna. Does that make sense? I guess. <laughs> I hope it does. Because like, I've only just found out about this stuff and I'm trying to make sense of it. Um, but also, what was the other thing you said? Uh, there's gonna be another Mrs. Draper, and there's gonna be another Mrs. Draper, which is again another archetype, an archetype of Anna, which would be Betty. See, there's Mrs. one thing that you haven't brought up in this episode yet, and you yeah. always bring it up at some point. Go on, I probably forgot because is it's it been something? So long. Is there something in this episode that's about a triangle? Because <laughs> I mean, there's there's a really good triangle right here. <laughs> I guess there is. I think. Because mainly the whole thing with the triangles is it's quite a Jacques Lacan thing. Oh, it's not none of this. That doesn't go with Mr. Young's. It doesn't. Work. Well, it does, but it kind of it's not as um, it's not as it's there, but it's not in the same way. So I'm kind of the way I'm talking about these. So like for instance, when like the whole mother father thing and kid, that's kind of like a triangle. Mm. Um, so you've got like you know the mother is one side of it and the and and the kid is like the the real or whatever but but it, it's there it's just not as obvious as it normally would be but yeah I guess there is a I guess there is a triangle I mean there. I'm just mucking about really but, <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I mean there is something slightly disconcerting about him asking her for a divorce mm. even though they've never. Mm. technically been married which i know it's illegal it's a bit of paper yeah yeah but there is something a bit strange because she is sort of like she doesn't go she doesn't make a joke of it she's just like oh okay yeah yeah totally she just goes on like and it's funny that they never thought to get divorced before Mm. as well i mean it's unclear how long they've known each other but she says and is it this scene as well where he says she says oh we won't be able to spend christmas together anymore um yes yes it is because yeah. it is like that's again something you do with your family like it's almost like the first time you spend christmas away from your family yeah which yeah. at 35 i've never not seen my family at christmas i have not seen my family at christmas once but when twice. uh <laughs> recently yeah, recently yeah. but that's unusual though isn't yeah, it yeah. and it's kind of like normally christmas is the time yeah. when you return to your family at some mm. point you know it's a bit it's like a it's almost a pilgrimage like every year i guess it is yeah. that you make um and it's funny because i guess she's saying all oh, that pilgrimage is over which is what happens when you you know grow up and start a family which neither of us have done yeah. um yet <laughs> but it is like it's it's an interesting one that i there's probably something in that but i don't know what it is right now mm. One thing that I want to say before we move on, this this scene is basically top and tailed with Don lying on a couch. Mm. Um, and the scene before it was Pete taking a stand 
and being very strong and very sort of like changing the dynamic with him and Tom, right? And I think this scene is about Don's kind of comfort and reluctance to change. I think it's the first time we see it. So like, it's like him lying on the couch is like symbolic of him being really lazy. And obviously, like I've been saying about how Betty is essentially just the same as Anna and he's just he's just refusing to change so when it ends with him lying on the couch as well it's kind of like i think we're entering a new part of the show or the episode where we're talking now about people refusing to change or refusing to or things changing despite you know the things around them not mm. wanting them to change so the next scene that we see is peggy making her pitch oh i like this <laughs> i think it was a good pitch yeah, it was. It was it really good. It was a really good. good pitch. Really confused me at first. But yeah, I guess there's a lot more of the, the Christianity thing in there. Yeah, so I didn't get where he was like... Is it like a religious reference when he was like, I feel like I recognise her. Well, this is it. So I didn't think that... I didn't understand what was going on there at first. And I and for, for ages... Remember, we've been doing... <laughs> we haven't done a podcast in six months. For ages... I was trying to figure out what does that look like? Like what? So it's it, just like that, isn't she? It's just like, yeah. is it like Jesus on the cross? And you can find Jesus on the cross. You can find like Mary Madeline on the cross. You can find all kinds of things that look like that. But that's not the point. The point is, again, it goes back to that archetype thing where archetypes are things that we recognize even though we don't actually know where we've seen them before. Yeah, yeah. They're just things that we instantly connect with and I think that's the point of that. And that, that's the point of this whole scene is Betty, uh, um, Peggy kind of almost breaking an archetype and like becoming something else and coming like coming out of that. Mm. Um, it starts off with, um, and it relates to the, the previous scene in that like in the previous scene, Anna tells Don, uh, Betty is a, a chance at a new life. And this scene is literally Peggy starting a new life. It's like starting something new and like yeah, she's um, kicking ass. She's kicking ass, yeah. Um, and um, it, it ends in a weird way where this guy says, um, "I love popsicles." At some point in the thing. Oh, there's also the thing that, you know. I keep there's also this. Um, you take it, break it, share it, love it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into it all, but that kind of breaks down into some like real talk about patriarchal figures and how women have taken over from the patriarchal figures and calling the shots at the end. It's it, 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 the way it's kind of... So, you know, I've got this glossary of, of words that the show uses. I did not, but continue. <laughs> so That's I'm, not super nerdy. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. So basically, go through the show, you can figure out like like all the words in the dialogue have multiple meanings right mm. and i've made like a glossary of words and what they mean in other contexts and how they kind of every time they show up they kind of mean the same thing so cool 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 <laughs> <laughs> um yeah <laughs> uh, i'm single anyway <laughs> the um... <laughs> the uh it turns it, it shakes out that um this kind of it does kind of point to some sort of um feminine kind of takeover it's just a it's just really interesting use of words um but it kind of ends the the whole scene ends 
um, with this guy saying I love um, people want to say I love popsicles like people always say I love popsicles and there's this um, this quote that Carl Jung uses which is this it's um, where love reigns there is no will to power and where the will to power is paramount love is lacking I think there's this weird thing about like you know domination we see all these characters all these dominating characters in the yeah, episode yeah. and this idea of love and love in popsicles to me has this i don't know there's a kind of connection of how love and power kind of go together and how when people say i love popsicles what they're kind of saying to me is i love power right and as and they're we... phallic as well <laughs> I didn't say anything about Phallic. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen any mention of Young and his love of Phallic things. I'm sure there is some stuff out there. Anyway, but the next scene is about for me, the next scene is a lot about power and how people use it and how and and how people kind of abuse it. And it's a scene where Betty gets her kicks by tormenting Sarah Beth. This is like this is like if this was the eighties and <laughs> this is in a TV show, it would be in Dallas. And it would be Alexis or wherever she was. Just being an outright yeah. bitch. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, fanci- it's fascinating. It's it's a fascinating scene to watch. Um, what did you think? Well, this is the thing with this scene. is It's really fucking random. It's really random. It's right. like... But it's got she some, just rings up. It was set up, though. It was set up a long time ago. When she kind of got the two of them together. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know what it's about, right. but it was just really like random that she just chose to pick up the phone and like antagonize a friend. I think if in the in the in 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 the sort of order of the show, I think we don't actually see that much of Betty, do we? I guess we don't. We only see that she's alone at the beginning of the show, and she's kind of. But something weird about Betty in this episode mm. now. My my memory is sketchy at best, mm-hmm. but this is the first episode where I don't see, think I've seen her wear a dress. Oh, interesting. I think she wears trousers because every single scene, and you know how I know that is because I look at her and I'm like, I fucking wish I looked like you. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's got the most amazing figure. That's a really good. And point. I was just watching, and you could you can see it more because she's wearing trousers. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. normally she's got one of those huge Big skirts on, yeah. or like. You know, so you're just like, wow. And it's interesting that this is about kings. And she is, I think in this episode, she is a weak king. She's like a bad king. I mean, she... yeah. She's a bad mother. She's a bad king. She's bad everything. In that she kind of, she, she takes stuff out on the people around her and she doesn't really take responsibility and she isn't nurturing. And everything's about her, basically. Um, but... I, yeah, I just I think this scene's great. I I think it's interesting that um, again we've got um, Sarah Beth at the top of the staircase, like the mountain yeah, king yeah, on the yeah. top of the mountain, um, and also when we see um, uh, when we see Betty, we see her through this door frame, but she never actually walks through the door, so she's kind of like stuck in the stuck in the same place, uh, so to speak, um, and it's just kind of I think the way. This, the previous scene with Peggy, what one of the things that she's talking about is is splitting these things and like sharing them out, right? It's almost like sharing out power. And that's kind of what Ken did at the beginning of the scene. He, it, that's what Ken did in that scene. He like basically gave, he 
almost bestowed this power upon Peggy to do mm. this to do this um, pitch. She's saying like, you know, Peggy's the one who's going to carry everything forward. She's the one who's in charge now. Yeah. And in this scene with Betty, Betty's basically hanging on to the power. She's like clinging onto it and using it to just torment torment her friend. But the twist in the scene is Sarah Breath uses the ultimate power by just putting the phone down. She tells uh, Betty that you're a bad woman strangely enough using those specific words and then hangs up the phone therefore cutting off betty from like having any effect on her which i think is a really really good scene it's like really clever yeah i mean she is i mean her and cooper are like basically the kings that have no power yeah yeah because betty thinks that she has power but she actually doesn't have any power that's good which is you know I, i think that's clear because She's also bad, a bad ruler because her words are exactly as I didn't tell you to do anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and yeah. it's like that lack of integrity and, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like she won't take responsibility for yeah. anything. And that's sort of like why she's, because I mean, that's why she's a bad, yeah. she's a bad king. Massively. Um, there's a reference in here. I've missed out loads of references in the show, but there's a reference in here to the Rockland County Day School, uh, which was a school that encouraged individuality. So that's uh, very much on brand. Um, so the next scene is Peggy uh, getting chewed out by this um, this photocopier repi- repairs man. Um, weird. Making a, yeah, making a decision. So <laughs> you say it's weird. Why do you say it's weird? He's just really into that machine. Yes, he? <laughs> that's a good point. He's just a freak. Like, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be in an office with him either. <laughs> this is very true. Um, for me, it's a very short scene, but uh, I think again, it's totally on brand. The whole thing of like, sh- well, the first thing we we get is the the repairman. You, you're, I, I agree that the repairman kind of loves these um, photocopiers, and it's almost like. That's his power, right? That's his kind of like, I have power over these machines and I, you know, they're really important to me and I sort of look after them and stuff. But also on the other end of it, Peggy is there and she kind of, you see her sort of like almost getting reduced within the scene. And it's like, you know, this, again, it was returned to that idea of shame and like sort of being shamed. But I think what's really important, I, and also before I, before I go into that, the, the idea that she's um she she she's stuck in this room with this machinery and it's kind of like almost like she is the machine and she kind of she's been put in this uh sort of hole and she has to perform this task and she can't really she's not allowed to break out of it but she does break out of it and she does that by um accessing her shadow and what's really important about that is being able to talk about the things that shame you and being able to say when you when you are shamed, the best way to deal with shame is to kind of like talk about it and sort of tell people and mm. that way it doesn't like own you and it doesn't sort of like seep into your personality. And so the next thing she does is she goes straight to, to Roger and tells him that she wants to be out of that room. Um, yeah, and he doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, fine. <laughs> and she's like, really? Well, this is kind of, this next scene, I guess, is um, the big talking point in the whole thing. Well, we've got like, a lot going on in this scene. The, the scene starts off weird. It starts off with Peggy asking for her own room. Yeah. And then it ends with um, Joan 
having a very very unfortunate incident with being no 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 don't call it an unfortunate <laughs> okay, okay all right that's, that's not a good way to put it okay okay go on so it ends with joan being raped by an asshole right okay. <laughs> yeah i think that's, that's yeah that's the that's the best way to put it um so yeah i'm gonna leave this one to you because <laughs> I, I um i mean like i think it's interesting because I, I feel like with with peggy i mean you've made it sound like she's coming into herself she knows but for me she's still very unaware of her own power which i think is demonstrated by how she responds when roger's like yeah okay and yeah. she's like really <laughs> like just like that like it's that easy they can yeah. just ask for something and have it i think that she that you've got to remember she's done all this work and without really sort of forcing the situation she's basically just been doing what she feels is right and i don't think she's doing what she feels is right i think she is doing her job yeah but that's what i mean like without ceremony without sort of like aiming to because she's never asked for anything more because she's she's gotten to the point where like it's almost like her being a copywriter in itself is unusual it's, yeah yeah totally so it's yeah. like for her to suddenly start demanding everything it's like the, you know she's she 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 probably thinks in her mind that she's on a bit of a tightrope really and that she doesn't want to overstep yeah but then yeah. at the same time she can't she also can't cope with the environment that she's given so yeah. you know and i, I think it's because I actually don't really recall her talking to Roger much before. No, no, she hasn't. I don't think she has at all, to be honest with you. But then, you know, like I said, I don't remember much. So, um, <laughs> But I feel like it's a very... And this is what I mean about the facing your fears thing. It's like she goes up to him. Yeah. She just asks. Yeah. And she's almost prepared for the backlash. Because yeah. when he, she, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, you can have it. She's like, really? And I think she wasn't prepared. I think she was lining herself up. For a, a battle. Well, this is—I think that's what happens when you face shame, right? Is like you think if you say something that's kind of embarrassing to you, and you tell someone about it, you don't know how they're going to react. You don't know if they're going to sort of say back off, or, or if they if they if they are kind to you when you say it, it kind of dispels that shame. It's, it goes. I think it's the same sort of thing, same sort of um, impulse here. Mm. It's like. Um, to me, this is similar to to when earlier in this when we we were just talked about Sarah Beth kind of like hanging up the phone, um, using that power and just kind of like going, I'm not interested in just walking away. But this time, um, Peggy is kind of like saying, Well, I don't want to stay in this room anymore, so I'm just gonna do whatever it takes to get out. And and she's not forcing the issue; she's just doing what is available to her. She knows that this room, Freddie's room, is there, and like no one's using it, so. Can I just have it? I think it's interesting that... Um, but she doesn't say... Yeah, but she doesn't say it like that. Right. She doesn't say, can I please have that office? She's like, I am a copywriter. I deserve an office. Those are the facts. Yeah. She just she goes in it. and she just says, I deserve this. She doesn't ask him for it. Right. Okay, that's a good point. And he consents. That's a good point. And, I, and that's the difference. Right. She's not asking him for anything. She's right. saying, I should have it. Okay, that's interesting. Or I... I you know, I, yeah, exactly. I should be in there. Yeah, very, very aggressive. I thought it is aggressive, but it's not <laughs> delivered. I genuinely it's not. It's not. It's, in a way, for her, it is aggressive. I think, yeah, yeah, I guess. But I think when when Pete, when uh, Roger says it's aggressive, I think he's thinking about if someone else has said that to her. It. He's almost like. Um, 
projecting what that is like. Like if anyone else had said that to him, any any of the guys that have said that to him, it would have been a, an aggressive move. It would have been like, I've done this and I'm, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And I deserve this because I'm blah, blah, blah. And she's just literally, like you say, just like spitting out facts. <laughs> Hashtag facts. Uh, and she, yeah, she totally deserves it. And I think, I, okay, so here's a, here's, a, here's a thing that I haven't really put a lot of thought into. But how does that scene, how does her asking for that office reflect on the next part of the scene, which is Joan and Greg turning up and Greg and them saying, and, and, and um, Roger telling uh, Joan that he didn't realise she liked French food. If anything, <laughs> making you... there's a thinker. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think it's just queue up and have a go at Roger today. Um, I mean, I think she's she's play she's trying to do a power move as well, isn't she? Oh, okay. Because she's oh. going. Where are we? Oh, it's such a classic woman move. Oh, look at my new boyfriend, oh. your ex boyfriend. <laughs> wow, it so is. I had not seen that. What do you okay. mean? I didn't know. I literally went over up, my head. The, this beautiful bouquet of roses. And the thing is, it's kind of like, and he's being sneaky as well. Right. Because because she's like, oh, this is Greg. You know, he's a doctor <laughs> or whatever. You know, big bouquet of flowers. We're going out. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going out too. And, yeah. and we're going, oh, French restaurant. And then he's like, oh, I thought you didn't like French food. And they've got a better chef. It's, it is. It's the like, be- yeah, I got, the, I got the better chef thing. That was a bit kind of, yeah. And it's interesting that no one really says anything. It's all kind of, and you know, you see Greg's face and it's kind of like when she says, you know, um, when he says, I didn't know you liked French food. But have you seen when they walk up, it's almost like they're walking down the aisle. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good point. She's got her flowers. Yeah. They walk up arm in arm sort of thing. Oof. Oof. And and Roger's the priest the tension, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, totally. The tension in the room. That's, um, I think it's really good, really, really tense scene. Really, really tense scene. But I think the thing with that is, is at that moment, Joan thinks she has the power. Right. We're going to go into this. Ah, who's got the power? Okay, thing again. okay, that's a good. But like Joan good. thinks she's got the power. She's got, she's rocking out with a hot boyfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's engaged or whatever. She's got roses. Like Rogers stood there, vulnerable by himself because yeah. Jane's not there. Yeah, yeah. She goes up. She thinks, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna show him that I don't need him, and yeah. like, because you, you know, you always get this impression that, you know, after you've been dumped, I suppose. Yeah. For want of a better word. <laughs> You know, do you want to show? Well, actually, I'm, I'm fine. So I'm I don't fine need again. you. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's what she's trying to. That's what she's trying to do. Right. But I think what happens is it sort of backfires on her because Greg picks up on the fact that they There's something going on. They've yeah, they have. Ha- they know each other intimately. intimately <laughs> yeah. but he, I don't know if he knows that they've shagged, but I think he might have the idea that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think, and I think that is what it it. That office is mm. full of toxic max- masculinity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that whole thing with the office, I think it's talking about that as a space as well. Mm. And, you know, we can come back to it when Peggy is pointing out the fact that the, the name on the door is still, some, it's still someone else's office. Yes. It still belongs to a man. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about He's that. He's still there. We'll definitely talk and about it's, that. And well, it, that's the thing, is she goes into Don's office and it's exactly a sort of similar deal really yeah, yeah totally is totally. that he suddenly is calling all the shots yes um well 
I, I don't even want to start with this. It, there's a, I mean, I do want to say, like, you know, we, I spend a lot of this time t- talking on this show about, like, things behind the scenes and, and, and subtext and stuff. I just want to, you know, make a point of the fact that it is a horrific thing to watch. It's a weird scene to watch, and it's kind of very uncomfortable. And it's, you know, it's really hard to watch. Um, and, you know, obviously we're going we're gonna to talk about it, but... Um, I want to keep that in mind that it's mm. kind of it's a, it's a tough scene because um, I don't want to just go into this coldly thinking talking about it like oh the thing the scene do you see how it looks at us and you know what I mean and, yeah well, missing the point of like you know this is a very very difficult thing for a very triggering thing for a lot of people I'm yeah sure we as probably well. should put a warning at the beginning of the episode actually yeah I will um, so okay so I don't want to go into too much detail with this with what happens in the scene but have you got any thoughts or any my kind thoughts of... are that so for me the big thing was that he approaches yeah when she has her back to him oh okay so it's like a complete she's let her guard down yep yep sort of thing mm-hmm. um and i think he's almost seeing her in the way that now obviously i'm not implying that everyone in the office is a rapist yeah but you know it's that whole thing of that culture that she's there she's on display yeah yes and he wants her yeah one thing that stood out to me about the scene right at the beginning of like when this happens is we see like so greg opens the door Mm. and talks about the fact that it's actually um, Don Draper's name on the top of the door which I want to talk about Don Draper's name comes up a lot in this episode like when yeah. he's not there it's like it's almost like yeah I'll talk about it in a minute but like he talks about that and then we see the we see him standing out there he comes into the door and we see like Joan walk through the door like specifically walk like, like it's like the biggest sort of there's a lot like I said there's a lot of doors in this in this episode but you see her actually walk through the door and I think the door is kind of uh, there's a lot of characters in this episode that grow and they change. I think that's what the door represents. It represents all these characters changing within, you know, due to whatever circumstances there are. Um, but that's very specific and it really stood out to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, is there anything else you want to say about this scene? Um, I mean, I think with, with Joan, it's particularly hard because I think feel like it's not what she like not that she doesn't want to be raped of course she doesn't want to be raped <laughs> yeah, but totally. this whole thing was something that she didn't want to begin with yeah totally. like this is the fact that she went up to roger the fact that she's rubbed this new boyfriend in his face yeah she's trying to do which is echoed in the scene with her and peggy um later on she's trying to she's doing what she thinks that she should be doing instead of what makes her happy right. and she because she's done that she hasn't she's almost like the opposite to Peggy. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. And it's like... That's a good point, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, this is what... Because, I mean, if you think about it, it's like that's almost what happened to Peggy with Pete. Yes. Yeah, well... I mean, I'll, there was... There, he didn't rape her. Well, I w- I'll go into what I think about how this reflects on Peggy in a second. But, but. you know, I, I, I mean, it was, it was filmed in a very horrific way. And I think what was really like powerful was the look that joan gave at the end and it was almost that perspective yeah like look away and it was she wasn't i mean she was protesting and you know calling out but not in a particularly loud way yeah yeah yeah. 
she just and then it was that shot of the chair mm, yeah. leg the chair yeah interesting yeah. i so i kind of yeah i feel exactly the same way the only thing i would say about the peggy thing the 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 parallel to peggy is this kind of did happen so i think this show has a lot to say about the way society kind of treats us as people mm. women in particular but people in general and i think there's something about how this horrible thing happens to joan but in the first episode in the whole season in the, in the whole show peggy goes to see that doctor and she obviously wants it's not the same thing it's not the same thing i'm not saying it's the same thing but obviously she wants to get ahead in life and this skeezy doctor remember basically treat even the fact that greg is a doctor and mm. he says are you going to examine me and and that's exactly what peggy says to this well she doesn't say that exactly but this guy is examining her in the scene and you know you say that thing about how she looks away at the at the end of the scene peggy kind of does the same mm. thing in that scene she looks at that picture and the fact that she's looking at a chair and like chairs to me are like these objects that they, they they symbolize objects that are used and it's almost like she's being used even though she was trying to you know like you say at the beginning of the scene trying to show herself as a whole human being um yeah th that's kind of there's loads of stuff in this scene where it's like um just just joan kind of trying to be this full woman and having that just like snatched away from her. the way to you know the way i guess capitalism um kind of takes away our humanity in a way um I haven't really. I don't. I don't think I talk about capitalism in the show much. But I think that's a the, the overlining thing of the show is that we're not supposed to, as human beings, it's not necessarily natural for us to live the way that we do. Oh my god, totally. And um, and that kind of takes a lot of our humanity away, and that's kind of what happens to Joan here. One thing I want to point out, even though you know, again, there's a lot they show a lot, and I don't. It, it's very uncomfortable. There is also this thing with Roger. We, we're all sort of looking at Roger as, oh, he's the good guy in this equation. He's like the nice person. But I think there's a real sort of parallel between the way that Roger had um, Joan in, her ho in that hotel room when they were kissing. We see the same shot of him, you know, pulling up her skirt and, you know, the stockings. Mm. And we see the stockings in this scene and they're quite sort of like similar. I had a massive, well, it wasn't me, but I, online I was talking, there was a guy who kind of mentioned the fact that he thinks Roger is just as bad as Greg. I don't think he's as bad as Greg, but in a way, because of capitalism, because like, you know, Roger has this status, which is basically just given to him. He can, he, he, he almost just walks into any room and thinks he can have any woman he wants. And the woman might not be interested in it but ultimately because he's got so much money he can just keep throwing it until he gets what he wants it's entitlement entitlement that's that's exactly i keep forgetting that word but you're totally right yeah and um i think that's exactly what the two of them i mean there's a, yeah and, and roger have in common there's a lot of ownership of women in this episode yes don owns anna um greg owns uh Joan and then I mean you'd even say to a point Roger owns Peggy yeah because I mean even though it's it's a room he could control whether she can have that room yeah you know I think there's a lot of 
I mean, then there's sort of the opposite with um, Cooper and his sister, yeah. I suppose. But I don't know. I mean, it does feel like... It's it's one of those things that happens in Mad Men, this scene. Yeah. That I kind of feel is never going to be, like, properly dealt with. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, I, ho- I hope she doesn't marry him, but she probably will. Right. Um, um, well, I, I think the way the scene kind of ends um we see well we see them walk out of the thing and then you know nothing is said like is that but that's what i mean she leaves the roses on the table though well the roses to me are kind of very symbolic so the the roses to me are kind of like symbolic of this idea of the ideal ego which is kind of like another posh way of saying being really good or being permissive or just doing what you're told um, and trying to live up to this idea of being good and that's kind of what she does it just kind of like lets it go and doesn't really want to doesn't really want to address it really and that's shame that's and like I said that I guess the whole scene begins with Peggy kind of confronting shame and battling it and taking it on and the scene ends with Joan kind of being complicit in shame and not taking it on and not saying anything so the next scene is this um, meeting. Boring. <laughs> Boring. I, I just didn't like that story. It just felt... I mean, the only bit that I thought was quite funny was when he was left at the end with, at the end with all the well, nice teas and scones. We and all stuff. got to that. We all got to that. That's, 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 a, good, that's a good little shot. But um, Okay, so we won't spend too much time on this, but... I do want to say, so this is the first part of this scene. and It was in two parts? It was in two parts, oh yes. And uh, this first part of this scene is where, it's, I guess the, the thing to talk about in this scene is like, you know, we've just seen, we've just seen um, Joe be quite complicit in, well, not complicit, but like without saying, by not saying anything, it kind of allows evil to thrive, right? And, she, and nothing gets changed. And in this scene, we have... Um, well, Don's not there. And well, Don, they make that point, don't they? Don's the the only person, and Don would, and we've seen that Don likes to keep things the way they are. And obviously, um, Cooper's sister is like, "Where's Don?" Because Don could change the whole course of this um, this meeting. He could make things. He he could question the fact that they don't want to sell this thing. Mm. And with even though he doesn't have that much of a stake in the company, he's only got twelve percent. By say by saying something to um, Roger's sister, he could literally change the course of this this vote. Yeah. But because he's not there, nothing gets done. Yeah. And also the fact that Don, the fact that Don isn't there, and there's this lawyer there who's kind of like the law. That's almost like the law becomes this static thing, right? And without sort of changing that law, things just like move along. It's like it's just assumed that he would vote to go along with everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's how kind of laws work where, you know, if they, if, if they're a static thing that was written years ago and now you, you apply the say what like dowry laws and all that kind of stuff that stick around. They don't, we don't, we change laws because if we kept them the same things wouldn't, you know, life wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. Right? Mm. Um, and there's one more thing I wanted to say about the scene, but I've forgotten what it was. Oh yeah, the eyes thing. 
fox when she when when Roger says to um when Roger says to uh, Alice um those fox that I don't know which eyes to look at okay so there's a bit where just, I'm just shaking my head <laughs> for those of you there's there's a bit where Roger says I don't know which eyes to look at and she's got these like she's wearing this fox scarf sort of thing and like there's like six pairs of eyes looking at him and to me that's kind of like if it's it's almost like it's reminding the audience that if the the, the um Alice is happy to look at this situation through different pairs of eyes and sort of like she, she could change her mind at some point but she doesn't have any opposing viewpoints to go with so she just goes with the the majority um one thing I wanted to mention that we didn't mention earlier Alice's full name is Alice Cooper like the singer exactly right so what's what's significant about that is alice's alice cooper's father was a bishop and alice cooper at one point i'm pretty sure called himself the you know the the, the dark prince or something something ridiculous like that. right and it's very much a shadow shadow kind of situation where alice cooper is the shadow of his father um another parallel that's in the show i just wanted to point that out anyway <laughs> hell's bells <Bola. laughs> anyway so moving on so the next scene you probably didn't at least you might maybe you did remember this the bit where don is walking down the road and he oh, sees talking to the freaking mechanics i was like what is this like honestly this is so these are the bits of madman that infuriate me because it just i'm just like why is it there like Oh my god! Seriously, can like this is I, I tell you what, right? Yeah. So, I don't love this show. Right. <laughs> I don't. I'm just gonna put it out there, right? Because it's sometimes you're watching it and then it'll just do this completely random scene, and you're just like, "What the hell was that about?" Right. And then you think. So, and this is why when I ask you sometimes, I'm like, I'm your average human being yeah. who likes watching like proper rubbish netflix dramas and stuff like that <laughs> i watch this and i'm just like why is he he's like oh yeah i'm looking for a job do you make them yourself and he's like oh no i don't make them there's and i'm just like why am i learning the history of this weird mechanic man it just doesn't seem relevant and i'm just like i'm sure it says something but i don't really need to know like it doesn't make any difference to how i view the show i'm gonna like, i think Frollo might have a stroke in a minute so i'm gonna stop but yeah there you go well <laughs> fair enough so you might be surprised to know that um it's the most important scene in the entire series so that car, right, that the guy's making up is make, like, so, you know, let's talk about complexes. Yeah. And how complexes are like a, bu complexes are like a bundle of emotions that are in our psyches that kind of reflect how we feel in the moment, right? So that car that the guy's making at the time is basically a bunch of different cars blended together. So it's, right. like, it's like a complex. Mm -hmm. But... The weird thing is a complex is a is a personal version of an archetype, right? Right. So like an archetype is a, a societal version of a complex. So lots of things that happen in the past affect what archetypes are and how we sort of like view archetypes. I don't want to go into too much detail. But anyway, well, another thing that's interesting about that car 
that the guy's making up that's made up of all these different cars is it kind of reflects all the people in the meeting in the previous scene. So you've got two parts from like, I'm not going to go through all the cars, but there's two parts from very, from cars in the same family. There's a really posh part of a car and there's a really sort of downtrodden part of a car, which would be done. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, so that's why, that's why, that's why the car's there. But then this whole scene for me is again, a, a reflection on the idea of time. Cause it's like, you don't even know what time this, this could be in the past. It could be in the, the only reason, the only reason we know it's in the current day in the show is because he says, I used to work in a, um, a car sales um, thing. And even then we're not fully sure that it's in, the, the present time in the show, right? You think it's from the present? I thought it was from the past. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. I think it's from the present. But um, it could easily be the fact. But the point is that it's like, it, it goes back to that thing of time where complexes kind of affect us at all times in our lives. Um, and, <laughs> sorry, you're just looking at me. Do like, you want, no, do you want to know my main takeaway from that scene? God, uh, Is that the guy he was talking to was drinking beer from a jug. <laughs> That honestly, I think it was a Pyrex jug. Like this is how much attention I paid to the jug because I was not engaging with the dialogue. I was like, is that guy drinking beer out of a jug? Wow. And it's half full. What does that mean? No, um, one of the things that kind of stands out to me was the fact that the car. So, so I think the big point of this, this, this scene is the fact that Don is kind of, to me, it's like Don is stuck in the past and he gets given an opportunity to kind of either stay with these guys and like get a new job and like be a new person and change or he could go back into the past uh, he could go back to his old job uh, back to his old life and and live that but he doesn't really make a decision he mm. says maybe i'll come back i'll give you a call and to me it's like that's it's the fact that he doesn't make a decision it's the fact that he's that he's not sure what to do like should he stay should he go and that's where problems begin um because he doesn't have enough of those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but then there's this whole thing of nostalgia as well and how nostalgia can kind of call you back and make you want to, you know, stop you from pro pro progressing with your life. And like, you know, this idea of comfort still, this this idea that he's still stuck in this idea of comfort. Um, I really like this scene. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit random, but it kind of it does inform what's going on in it, the current. To day. you, <laughs> to me, it was just like, oh, okay. It's like he's gone for a walk. It's like a random. He's gone for a walk and just met some guys and been like, let's chat about cars for a bit, and then that's it. So then we go back to the we go back to the the meeting and they're having this this uh, conversation and they start having they had the vote and um, in the vote. Um, everyone kind of votes to kind of sell the company and, and um, Cooper wants to, doesn't want to do it, um, but has to do it because he's given up because he can't really, there's nothing else for him to, there's no one to back him basically. And it's almost like Don would be that person to back him, but he's, he's off doing something else. And also this idea of apathy and not really caring and not really making a decision it there's a there's a line at the end of this at the end of this scene i can't remember what the line is now i don't know if i wrote it down oh that's it it's well done D uh, um uh cooper says well done to to roger um and it's the same line i think it's cooper who says it it might be roger who says it anyway it doesn't matter 
It's the same line. That's the only the only other time that line has been used was when uh, Cooper said to Don, "Well done." When Don told him that he'd hired Doc instead of Pete to run the company, mm. and that's <laughs> is that not convincing? <laughs> <laughs> and that's significant because that's the very same scene where Cooper said to Don and Pete, it doesn't matter that Don isn't really who he is, says he is. And that's significant because if he had said something, he if he'd have actually made a decision in that moment, none of this would be happening. And it can all be sort of taken all the way back to that point. Um, and that's why they're selling the company now. because because Duck because Duck is the guy that's selling the company. So when he brought him on, it was almost like the beginning of the end. And and Don's not even there now to kind of stop it. Do you see the levels? <laughs> well, no, because that's just life, isn't it? I mean, it's just like well, everything yeah. that happens leads to the next thing that happens. Well, yeah, totally, totally. But it's I like the fact that there's a, just a, a complete through line to that one decision that he made. and Not not even a decision that he made, a decision that he didn't make. And uh, again, back to the whole theme of the show. That's another thing about um, Carl, um, Carl Jung. It's just another thing about Kyle <laughs> Right, what's next? Right, next, next, moving on, moving on. We're almost at the end now. Um, so Peggy moves into a new office. Lovely, lovely scene. It's a interesting scene. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I think there's this thing where... It's interesting, because I think Peggy's almost treating it like they're both happy. Mm. So they're both winning at life. Yeah, yeah, yes. Like she doesn't question. She and I think notice. Well, that's the thing. She doesn't even notice could because Joan almost has the words to say yeah. that make her make her life seem impressive. It's like anyone, isn't it? It's like that this is like the Instagram of the 1960s. Oh, well, my husband, my right. my fiance is a doctor he does like really good work um you know for these poor kids that really need it yeah well i didn't want to say that but (laughs) you know um and it's really complicated so he's so smart but again it's all about him it's not about her she doesn't talk about her she doesn't like she didn't talk about herself at all no she doesn't and it's that whole thing of like it's it's the room is interesting because it's got someone else's name yeah yeah definitely Definitely. And it's like, she doesn't mention his name. Does she mention his name? I can't remember, actually. But I feel like she doesn't they say do his men- name. They do mention Freddie at, at points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but they don't. I don't think she says at any point, like, can we get Freddie's name off? She's just like, what are we going to do about this? When, yeah. can you, when can you get it sorted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is quite interesting because it's almost like the name is sort of the, the ownership. Yeah. And... Yeah, I don't know. It feels like I think that scene for Peggy is very much like, aren't we both doing great? <laughs> Isn't life great? It's fantastic for yeah. both of us. And um, yeah, I well to be, to be fair for me, I think this this scene's really about Joan, and I think it again it it, ref, it relates back to the previous scene in the um we, at the end of the previous scene we see the scene end and it's that thing you talked about where 
Cooper is sitting there on his own, and as the 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 thing pan, the camera pans out, you see the door, the the shape of the door, and it's like he's stuck within this door. He hasn't moved. He hasn't grown. Yeah, yeah. And he's trying to be. He's be, he's been trying to please all these people, um, trying to be trying almost trying to be matronly in a way, trying trying to be the good mother or whatever, and um. And he's lost. He's, he's he's trying to please everyone, and he's and he's lost. He's left with nothing. He's left with not his company. Everyone else has got what they wanted, and he's alone. And I think the same thing has happened with Joan, where she's kind of she spent this whole time sort of living within this um, this patriarchy, let's say, <laughs> um, and you know trying to please, trying to be the best version of that that she could possibly, be and being that that thing. And she's left basically just kind of almost like a shell of herself. Um, yeah, and... and it- but it's that thing, it's a thing that no, what it's saying to me is that nobody really owns anything. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, Cooper doesn't down, own right. his company. Right. Peggy doesn't own that room. Whether or not, you know, it doesn't matter whose name's on the door. It was someone else's room. Right, okay. okay. Like she's treating it like... That's a good point, and it's almost like that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like it's a, it, some of it's, a, it's it comes back to what you were saying about capitalism, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, it's like people are holding on to these things. Yeah, yeah. and also the fact I, for, for me the big the big thing of the scene is like if you think about a, uh, a, a like a sine wave, like two sine waves, and like you know you've got like a with Peggy it goes up. She's in an up position at the moment, but she will be going down at some yeah, point, yeah. and like. Um, uh, Jones doing the same thing but in the opposite direction so they're kind of like they're meeting they're almost like you know now that Joan is up now that Joan is down um Betty uh, Peggy is up and you know it'll it'll all flip over again at some point and it's all very temporary and yes they don't own anything nobody owns anything it's kind of you have to give it away at some point but at the time but you know the thing that makes it okay the thing that levels the playing field as a success. I mean, as, as it said to Cooper, sort of early on, well, you're still, you know, you'll still have millions of pounds or whatever, and you'll still have this. And yeah. it's like, Joan will still have, or, or her success is her husband's or her partner's success. That's what she she uses as her currency. Mm. Yeah, I get, yeah, I guess. And it's kind of I like guess, everyone even. trades in success, but, you know, it's, it. nobody really owns anything, if you see mm. what I mean. It's not... It doesn't belong. What What did you think of the guys, um, the guys' reactions in this? So the guys come in and they're just kind of like they're all sort of happy and jolly that um, what's his name? Paul's, uh, Paul's back. Paul's back, and then they find out that Peggy's got this new job, and their faces totally drop, and everything about them changes. Can I tell you what I think? Yeah. So another thing that Carl Jung is famous for is this idea of a persona. Yeah. And this idea that, you know, we all walk around with a persona showing our best selves to everyone. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's exactly what, I guess that's exactly what Joan's doing where she's talking about all the good stuff in her life. And, um, but the problem with the persona is it can kind of slip quite easily. And that's what happens with the guys. They kind of, but when their persona slips, they just, they literally all the nastiness the, the shadow comes out and it's like how could you get this job and all this kind of stuff mm. and yeah i just think that's really <laughs> I, I thought it was really funny the way they did that um there's other things as well but i think we should move on because you might fall asleep 
<laughs> it's getting to that point. It is I'm not going to lie. We're on, we're on the... Uh, What's the, what's the saying? The precipice. We're on the precipice. We're almost, right? we're almost over. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting to the end. It's okay. Right, so this um, the next scene is Betty seemingly trying to bond with Sally. What did you think of this? Okay, blood thing was weird. Didn't yeah. quite get that. Because I mean, you could only assume because you couldn't see anything that it was menstrual blood that she was talking about. Maybe. But then that seems like a little bit odd. So to me, I mean, that could be the case. The, also, the bleeding, um, there's only other one reference to bleeding in this show. And that is when um, Jane tells Don that Sally was trying to phone the office looking for him. And there's something about um, about that scene. Like, so I don't know if you remember that. You probably don't remember the scene. It's when um, uh, Jane was being really nice to to Don and Don was kind of um Don was basically being nasty to her and to me <laughs> everyone else thinks that that's that's Don turning down um turning down Jane but to me that's Don negging Jane and trying to get him getting trying to get her mm. to kind of make the move with him because he doesn't want to make the move and it's like a this kind of idea of a um a hidden motive and he never really says it but really what he's trying to do is trying to get her to sort of pay more attention to him it doesn't really work uh, she ends up with with roger um but i think this scene um kind of relates to the fact that um peggy shutting the door on jane is the same way that sarah beth hung up on betty mm. right and now we're seeing the effects of how the people who get the people who get the door shut on them, how they act. Because in the last scene um, with uh, Peggy with uh, Peggy and Joan, it's not as obvious, but Peggy shuts the door on Joan. It's almost like, you yeah, know, yeah. Peggy kind of is the one who's got all the power and then Joan's kind of left. Um, so, <laughs> you're so, so, you're so tired now. <laughs> This takes a lot of energy. <laughs> I know it does. A lot of intellectual energy <laughs> to discuss this fucking random TV show with you. I know. I know. I know. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get over it. We'll, we'll, we'll finish it. Um, but I think this what we're seeing now is Betty basically being, um, responding to being having the door shut on her by sort of like basically abusing her door, even though it doesn't seem like she's abusing her. Would you agree? Would you disagree? I don't know. I didn't. See, I didn't see it that way. Right. I probably saw it more like Betty has realised that the only power she truly has is over her children. Right, yeah. That's, that's and, kind of what and I was is, saying. is buying their affection. Yeah, which is what everyone in this show does. <laughs> I mean, it's all about money. But I think, I think the blood thing for me is probably a bit more like I mean, I only I can only assume it's menstrual blood because it's never mentioned otherwise. Yeah. And I think it's a reminder that she's a woman. Okay. Oh, fair enough. If you see what I mean, because she's sort of the whole yeah. way through, like she doesn't have to answer to anyone. She's been quite masculine, I guess. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even say she'd been masculine. Well, she kind of has because she's had had to replace Don in a way. Yeah. Right? I mean, absolutely. She's she's, you know, punishing her children when they misbehave or whatever, you know. Yeah. But I, I kind of feel like it, that's what that is about. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, with Sally, 
because I was questioning sort of the because that thing that was said about the private school oh yeah yeah I wonder if Betty has just decided that she doesn't want her to be independent and she wants to make a mini version of herself because she it's the riding boots do you know what I would I wouldn't I wouldn't actually say a mini version of herself I would say a mini version of Sarah Beth her okay. friend so like because obviously Sarah Beth has now told her to go where to go it's like who's she gonna who's who's her friend who's gonna go riding with her and do all this stuff it's gonna be her she's basically giving she's giving Sally way too much power I think or and I, I mean I'm getting tired so the theories are gonna get ridiculous <laughs> I think about this right Sally is turning into Betty which Betty sees when she catches her smoking. Bear with me, okay? Right, okay. Right? So then she's like, crap, I don't want my daughter to be like this, so she punishes her. Yeah. And then, you know, in this scene, I think it's more like, it's almost a bit like, um, here we go. <laughs> it's almost a bit like Betty catch, caught Don cheating. Yeah. Tries to punish him. Yeah. And that doesn't work. Right. So he, so she tries to draw him back in, right, and and sort of, I don't know, buy him or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know where that goes. <laughs> but I think it's it's almost like an echo. Right. Okay. Okay. I see what you mean. Of that of that whole relationship, because at the same time, her mum, her Sally's going, "Where is he? Where is he?" Yeah. And she's not asking that question anymore. Yeah. She's not asking where he is. Yeah, I see what you mean. You mean Betty's not asking that yeah. question anymore? All oh, right, I see. Okay, okay. So yeah, yeah. No, I I see what you're saying. So it's like, um, yeah. So Betty is dealing with the loss of Don by acting like a shit, basically. But no, no, that's not exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> okay. But we'll just leave it there, shall we? Because <laughs> no, I, I think you had something. I think, I there, I think there's there's a thing where it's I guess it's that I can't remember if you like a history repeating itself or like a yeah whatever your theory was that you talked about. <laughs> but it's that whole thing of like seeing that it's a pattern. Yeah, it's a pattern of you know upset and hurt and then loss. I don't. Yeah, I. I... And then and then. Because it is that sort of like assimilation of almost wanting. She doesn't want to be the weak person that she was. Yeah, I yeah. So okay, I see. I see where you're going. I don't think I. What I'm going to say is exactly what you're saying. Okay. But I think it's along the same lines. So I think that um, what's happened with Betty now is she has, yeah. So she's taken on this masculine sort of thing. And now she's she's basically using Sally to kind of fill in the gaps and almost sort of, as opposed to being the adult and sort of taking over things, she's making Sally her opposite. Or, but basically what she's doing is she doesn't want to change. Mm. She's kind of, she's got this power. She doesn't want to... She doesn't want to open up to, to Sally and tell her the truth of what's happening with her and Don. She just kind of mentioned some things sort of like in the same way that Don did where he didn't tell um, Anna that he cheated on his wife or anything. He just told her, oh, and, you know, I, I turned my brother away and I didn't she didn't tell it. She, he didn't tell her the, the gory details and he didn't need to tell her the gory details because Anna kind of accepted him 
and that's all he really wanted and all Betty seems to want is to be accepted as well and she's not telling um, Sally the gory details of why Don's left or anything um, and and making herself look good in the process so a bit like a little bit of an echo of Joan really of sort of yeah sort of hiding things and not sort of yeah, just, yeah. just showing the persona just exactly. showing the, the good side of everything yes. and sort of being accepted for that and not accepted for the faults as well exactly um, and yes um I want to so okay we're going into the end now and what no way <laughs> yeah, we're almost finished um and I think that's that the idea of refusing to change is basically all over this next scene with Don and Anna and Anna reading these tarot cards to him yeah big thing about the uh, the tarot cards before we before we go on. the tarot cards are the things that cued me into the fact that this episode is all about um Carl Jung because tarot cards was such a random thing. Like, you think the cards thing was random? I didn't think that was that random. When, the, when I saw tarot cards, I was like, I don't know why they're there. Like, this whole thing has been about Christianity and blah, blah, blah. Well, tarot cards are basically the best example of archetypes that we have. There's so many different types of mm-hmm. them. And they were also, when they first invented, they were like these playing cards. But over time, they changed. They grew. They became something different. They became these, like, signs of the occult or whatever. And um, Carl Jung used these to sort of like explain what he thought. Um, so what he thought archetypes were. So you can go through like a whole pack of cards and everything has an archetype for something that the way we live our lives. Yeah. Um, and and so that's where it kind of that's where it all clicked in my head. Um, and this episode is based and this this scene is basically about Don sort of rejecting everything and not wanting to change. My favourite part of this scene is your... No, no, it's fine. I'm just keeping... I can hold my head up. Don't worry. It's all good. (laughs) Oh, no, I can't. You're going to have the best night's sleep. Anyway, um, my favourite thing about this scene is, um, you know, you see the the, the curtains? Yes. It's like... It's almost like Don cannot see outside of the room because he can't see further. He can't see into the future. He doesn't want... He's scared because he doesn't know what's out there. So he wants to stay within the room. And that's why he can't see the ocean. He says at one point, I can't see the ocean. But what did you have any... Did you have any thoughts I about did. this final season? Sorry, go on. Not about the tarot cards. Go on, you go. But in this scene, is Don fixing a chair? He is fixing a chair, yes. Yeah. He never does for Betty. All right, that's a good point. He never fixes stuff for her. Do you remember she asked him and he's yeah. always like, oh, I'll do it later or whatever. And then there's that whole one with the Wendy house where he's just like... <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point, actually. But he's just fixing a chair for her. I saw the chair as just like an object and like as Don still being an object. I think Don is an object. He's an object to be used. He doesn't really use his brain to think about himself out of situations. He just wants to stay where he is. Mm. And he's used as an object to, you know, as... as he's the best sort of ad person he's he tries to be the best father even though it kills him inside like he's always doing what other people want him to do which is why he's so miserable um he thinks he's alone and he just needs to realize that he's not alone to be happy or whatever whatever it is that anna says um i want to say more about this scene but i think we should move on but um yeah anything else you want to add about this no. No. 
Don't think so. I just want. I just like the idea that, you know. I guess this, this scene is basically it. This is this is kind of like the cherry on the cake. This is kind of explaining what the whole episode is about, and it really did hit with me. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Okay, so you're having a little moment there. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking. Like, anyway, so the scene ends um, with Anna describing that wisdom is something that you pick up as you learn, and we see the the finals the the, the final shot from that scene is Don looking out of the window right and he sees the curtains that he can't see out of the window mm. which transitions to a shot of Peggy looking out of a completely clear window because she can see out of the window which is why she managed to grow and move on um, one thing I want to say about Don before we finish the episode um, so Don is never in a scene with a lot of characters but the characters talk about him as if he is mm. And there's this thing about, it's, it's more of a Nietzsche thing, but I think um, Carl Jung kind of addressed it as well. And this is it's this idea of the death of God or, you know, God is dead. And I can't remember what the, I can't remember what the thing is now. But the, the, the famous saying that, that God is dead, right? Uh, and I think what's really interesting about Carl Jung is, so he has this real sort of like, attachment to christianity but what's really i think what his real thing is is spirituality and christianity is just something that we invent to kind of fill that hole of christian of of of, um of spirituality Mm -hmm. and in this episode don is kind of filling that hole for a lot of people he's this thing that exists that the archetype that exists that we all kind of like project our sort of feelings onto so so to betty to so to betty it's like it's almost like the um i think i know what you're getting at it's almost like you know the picture that they were all looking at and they all had different yeah ideas of what it meant to them like don is like that picture it's like to betty he's this kind of like domineering kind of mean person and to to roger he's uh to, to cooper sorry he's this kind of like meek kind of person who gets told what to do and to Peggy he's this kind of nurturing person who's kind of helpful and they kind of it reflects in all of the characters and the, their arcs in the whole show which um even if he's not there like a god I suppose exactly, like a, he's exactly. A very, he's, it's almost a godlike position to be in yeah, yeah but totally. he never witnesses that so and he doesn't he's unaware of that and he doesn't even exist himself I guess so, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. Oh, um, lovely. Really nice. And so the final scene is... And then he goes and gets baptised on the beach. Well, that's not it. No, <laughs> we're not there yet. We've got oh. one more scene to go. So we got the last scene where Pete goes and visits Peggy. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> we won't say too much about this. It's just the fact that both characters... Like, one thing that I didn't mention that I think this episode is about as well, I've brought it up a couple of times, but growth like growing up and sort of changing and learning like becoming wise like Anna says at the end of the last scene like uh, uh, becoming wiser and changing with the times and both of these characters have changed Uh, both Pete and Peggy have changed and there's an amazing amazing it's amazing when um, Peggy says that she got like because again like with the whole shame thing Pete is not scared to ask and show some kind of interest in how Peggy got what she got right and he says it out he says how did you get this 
And she says, because I'm sleeping with Don. Yeah, Which yeah. It's such a big thing when you figure that, like, the whole, you know, this whole show is kind of based on the fact that she kind of made a pass at Don and he turned her away. And because of that, she then went to sleep with Pete. And she can laugh at that. That's mm. kind of her embracing her shadow and sort of like accepting who she is and what's happened in the past and being a stronger person and being a whole person and the same thing happens with pete where he's able to kind of like accept that he's maybe not the the big dude that he thought he was and he's able to kind of you know maybe not laugh at it but at least accept that he's not the king of the castle and it's fine and like you know maybe he'll be better at some point in the future and stuff um yeah and there's loads of other things as well but i don't again i don't want to it's becoming a catchphrase i don't want to go into too much because you look absolutely shattered (laughs) the last thing we'll just talk about the very last scene because i think that's important because i think don don wading into the ocean is what did you think of that what do you think of that it's a baptism i think that's part of it I don't think that's the full story. I don't think it's like because a baptism kind of suggests some kind of change, right? No. Okay. I mean, it's a rebirth. Yep, exactly. So it's like being reborn as something new, but also being reborn under a certain leadership or or with a certain loyalty, right? Okay. To a faith, to whatever it is. Yeah. Traditionally, a faith, obviously. I just don't think he's being reborn, though. I think he's he's almost. Well, I don't know. We we don't know what's going to happen. So he might be. He might come back next week and be like, "Hi, I'm Don. Nice to meet you." This is a very good point. This you know, we, point. I don't know. Okay, okay, that's a good point. But at this point, me watching that without knowing what happened, what's ahead, yeah. <laughs> what joys await me in next <laughs> week's episode or whatever. Um, to me, it's like a signal that he it wants to change in some way. Okay. Either that or, I've got to be honest, at first I thought he might be like trying to kill himself. Well, his, that's, that's, that's... Like, I, but then he was like stood there with his arms outstretched and I was like, no, baptism. So I think there's so many things you could read into it because I think he always said that he wants the ocean. And that's like him like wading into the ocean trying to capture it all and it, him sort of like being too much for him and sort of like overwhelming him yeah yeah and he can't sort of hold it but he wants to hold it and he hasn't he hasn't cottoned onto the fact that he can't hold it like he's not wise um i think yeah there is that thing of like he could be trying to commit suicide or he could there is like a symbolic the the idea of a symbolic death but that's why i say he doesn't change because he well Maybe he doesn't die. Maybe there isn't a symbolic death there because the symbolic death suggests that you change in some way. And I think, you know, without going to spoilers, I think everything he said in this episode has been like, I don't want to change. I'm quite happy with the way things are. I'm quite happy with, you know, the status mm. quo. Um, and the song's called um, Cup of Loneliness. And it talks about like new life. It talks about loneliness. It talks about Christianity, decision making and cowardice those are all things within that song so it's all kind of yeah i guess there is that whole thing of like that is there the whole um baptism thing but i think it's a bit of a a red herring 
I'm gonna put you out of your misery now and <laughs> and end the show. And there, that's the end of this week's episode of the Old Fashioned Breakdown. We'll be back in six months with our next episode. I hope we are not back in six months. I hope it's uh, a bit quicker this time. I mean, it will continue to be six months if you keep researching into the episodes as much as you do. <laughs> this is true. I'm gonna try and curtail that a bit. I think. I think that was a bit ridiculous. Hopefully this year we'll get through a season. Well, I mean, we've only got one episode go- to go, so <laughs> until series three. <sighs> All right, cool. <laughs> you happy? We got. We're done. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Please remember to uh, join our um, our Instagram because uh, there's loads of good pictures in there. There you go. Um, is there anything you want to say? Um, I think I'm all talked out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, well, it just leaves me to say, um, remember, what did I used to say? (laughs) I forgot. Um, remember Sopranos. Remember, everyone, Sopranos is even better. Is that it? I can't remember. Anyway, that's it. Um, see you later.